Hey, hey, y'all, welcome to the Robert Scott Bell Show. We're about to crank it up. Another couple hours of broadcast healing brought to you by what? The health, freedom, and healing liberty that is yours by virtue of your very existence, your birthright. And also our friends at Nutritional Frontiers and Folium PX and Trinity School of Natural Health and others that support our message of health, freedom, and healing liberty, which is pretty much your message too, if you're here, likely. And if you're new, welcome. We got a lot to do. The uh, first hour every Thursday typically is the Sacred Fire of Liberty Hour with Jonathan Emord. He's going to be joining us by phone today because uh, he's on the campaign trail running for the United States Senate in Virginia to replace Tim Kaine, the George Soros lackey. Hillary Clinton lackey as well. So that's coming up. We've got updates from the road as well. In hour two, a fascinating uh, discussion on language, linguistics, quantum languaging. Word up with Danny Katz, the language of better archy, better archy, a blueprint for un- unity, uniting against tyranny. I'll get there. I might be abita being and abita booing today on the show, just thinking that way or speaking that way. Anyway, I'm glad you're here. RobertScatbell.com slash listen. All of the uh, links are in the in the show notes at robertscatbell.com on one eleven twenty four, And let's get this healing party started right about now. The Robert Scott, the Bell, Robert show. Scott Bell Show. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty. Here's Robert Scott Bell. All right, once again, the Sacred Fire of Liberty edition of the Robert Scott Bell Show is on the air every uh, Thursday. We do this with Jonathan E. Mord. Uh, he's the guy that's beaten back the uh, oligarchy, specific to the FDA, but also FTC and other things. These agencies that are not invested in your freedom, but invested in taking your freedom away from you and keeping it away from you. Why is that? You think America, the land of liberty, land of freedom, yet our government, its agencies, unconstitutional as I might claim that they are, they exist right now and we got to deal with them. Who better to deal with them and beat them back? Jonathan Emort. But realizing that even when you beat them in court, they defy all court orders. Do they have the power of kings, queens, and emperors of old in the United States? Apparently they do. What are you going to do about it? I say call Jonathan Ebord, get him into the United States Senate. That's what I say, among many other things that I say. He's on the phone today on the campaign trail, heading to something we'll, we'll learn about. It's Jonathan Ebord. Robert, how are you, my good man? It's great to hear you. I'm sorry we can't see you today. I know you're in the car heading to your next event. You can give us a little heads up on it for those that are listening live that might want to see you wherever you're going. Well, I'm going to Virginia Beach at a tea party event there, and... Uh... Look forward to that with great expectations for a wonderful evening. Virginia Beach is awesome. Uh, my my wife's mother has lived in that area for many years, so we used to go up there in the summertime. Uh, should be a really cool event. Is it uh, indoor or outdoor day? It's kind of wintry. Yeah, it's a little chilly. It's indoors. Okay. <clears throat> That's a really a spectacular uh, event. If anybody can look that up, it's the tea party. Uh, Virginia Beach, and uh, it's the Tea Party organization hosting it. So I think it'd be a great for your listeners if they're in that area to definitely come on over. I'd love to meet them. 
All right. So everybody check out emord4va.com and there'll be events listed. Some of them are, some of them happen at the last minute. I know this is how sometimes these things work, but if you're in the area of Virginia beach, the tea party in that area, uh, check out Jonathan Emord. I guess you're going to be doing a little talk there. Yes. I'll give a speech there. And, uh, in addition tomorrow morning, I'll be in, uh, Fishersville, Virginia, and I'm speaking there before the GOP organization, at, or excuse me, the, the Breakfast Club, the Fishersville Breakfast Club in the morning. Then later on in the afternoon, I'm speaking at another venue nearby. And then on Saturday and Sunday, we're going to be at the Hampton Gun Show in Hampton, Virginia. And uh, a lot of people should turn out for that. We'll be there and standing up for the Second Amendment against our government efforts to take our right to bear arms away. Yeah. Well, the right to self-defense is a right that's granted to us by God, not government. And it was enshrined in the Constitution, not because it granted us a right to keep and bear arms once again, but to acknowledge a right that preexisted government. And I think that's something that uh, many people maybe never knew. I know we learned something about those things back in the day when we were young, but Jonathan, I think the education system has been completely corrupted from the federal government down where many young people think that their rights come from government, which we know are not rights, but privileges that can be revoked based on behavior that they don't like. Right. Uh, the founding fathers and John Locke got it right. Say so his second treatise on government got it right when they discovered it was called the rights revolution of the enlightenment era when they discovered that the idea of a divine right of kings which was robert filmer's position in a book called patriarcha in the 17th century he defended this view that god gives kings rights and the rest of us operate only by leave of the king and of course, our founding fathers rejected that, as did John Locke, as did the people called the radical Whig opposition to the Georges, the Hanoverian kings in England. And they said, no, not at all. Our rights come from God. Just as the king has rights from God, so do we. It's not to our exclusion of our, right, our rights from God. We are made in God's image, just as is the king. We are equal to the king in our rights. And so they insisted on that. And of course, Thomas Paine famously said in, um, in the revolution that just as the king, just as America has no king, it has its rights and the law is to protect our rights. And that was understood. The rule of law, the very purpose of the constitution is to protect our rights. And here we are living in a time when the government is violating our rights with impunity, masking us, vaxxing us, telling us that our borders have to be open even though it violates our rights to life and liberty and property, telling us that anyone can vote regardless of their citizenship, regardless of their eligibility, diluting our electoral rights, and telling us that the United States is really uh, no longer to be a city upon a hill, a separate nation, a beacon of light for the world, but is instead to be just part of the world in which it exists such that we have no national borders. They're destroyed by open borders. We have people living here who have their allegiance to foreign countries, never asked to 
renounce their allegiance to foreign countries, never asked to swear an oath to uphold the Constitution, never asked to be employable. Rather, we are to be the global welfare agent for the world, and we are to have our rights destroyed in favor of those who will not even operate legally here, but will be given the right to exist by the tens of millions among our midst illegally, apparently in perpetuity. Well, the, the, the concept that we have rights from God and they would be written into a constitution to protect those rights. In other words, a government that would be instituted to protect those rights. Was there precedent and recorded history for a government that was established with that as its basis? No, there is no prior government in the history of the world in which the leaders did what George Washington did at the end of the revolution, which was what's called abdication of power, giving up power in order for the people to be sovereign. That never happened. And there is no government in the history of the world created by a written constitution in which the very point of it being written was to limit the powers of government to make people sovereign, to institute the government, as the second paragraph of the Declaration says, for the very purpose of protecting the rights of the governed. It was unheard of. It never existed. It was for the first time created here. And since then, governments have been attempted on this basis, but have never succeeded in pulling it off. We are unique in all the world in that our government is instituted to protect our rights. And now we have some of the greatest threats to the existence of our country right within our own Congress, right within our own executive branch, right within our own population, at the universities and private organizations, and even big business, all abandoning this idea that we're sovereign and asking us to become servants of really a global government as George Soros would have it, abandoning the United States and its constitution in favor of allegiance to a, a international organization that would serve as a government for the world and would be a totalitarian state, we would all be its servants, we would all be controlled by it. That's the movement, that's where they're going, that's the transformational change that Chuck Schumer talks about. And it's a horror because the Democrat Party has sold its soul to George Soros, as has Tim Kaine, my opponent. Do you think that uh, maybe this was the reason I think Benjamin Franklin was credited with saying when he was asked what kind of government have we wrought or have they wrought at the original uh, dawning of America? And he said a republic, but he also said, if you could keep it, uh, you know, it goes to the heart of the misinformation coming from many politicians, you know, defending this idea that we're a democracy. But it also recognizes the 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 limited time frame of any government that many governments don't last a long time. And he said, you know what, if you guys don't watch out, you could lose yours. Well, all the founding fathers were very, very jealous of power, meaning that they didn't want power in government. They referred to it as being jealous of power. And they all thought this experiment, which they referred to it as an experiment, even George Washington have referred to it as an experiment in liberty, would be tested, tried, and may not survive. In fact, Jefferson, as we know, 
said that he thought the tree of liberty had to be bled every 14 years, meaning that he thought that there may well have to be a revolution every 14 years to keep us free so that those in power would not abuse that power for their own self-interest at our expense. Jefferson said, I am not a friend of a very energetic government. It is always oppressive. And they, they profess their jealousy, quote unquote, of the executive magistrate, meaning those in government who wielded administrative power who might abuse that power. There's a famous poem that was popular at the time, and it's a Scottish poem, and it's, it's called Authority. And it goes this way, authority intoxicates and makes mere sots of magistrates. The fumes of it invade the brain and make men giddy, proud, and vain. And so that's their view. They thought, look, if we don't have a popular will that's based on a virtuous public that checks the abuses of power, those abuses of power will consume the government. And before long, we will be enslaved by that government to serve the very self-interests that drive those in power to violate the Constitution and to assume power way beyond the limits of the Constitution. And that's where we're at. We are at that level. So it's we're at the end of a, a magnificent era, and it can continue on indefinitely, but only if we rise up now. Every generation is challenged. You know, uh, uh, President Reagan was quite prescient when he said that freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We did not inherit it in the bloodstream, but must fight for it, protect it, and pass it on to each new generation. Or one day we will have to say about our children and our children, to our children and our children's children, what it was once like in America to be free. So you see, the threat has always been there, but it's no greater. It has never been any greater than it is right now. Jonathan, the question is, how did we last so long to this point? I know we are on the precipice, perhaps, of losing it. That's why I, uh, one of the many reasons why I support your efforts and want to see you in the United States Senate to do what we can from within, as well as learning what we can do outside of government as well. For all of you, that means standing up on principle and no longer complying with things that don't uh, uh, aren't supported by the Constitution in terms of function, you know, what the government is doing, where they mandate things they have no authority to mandate or prohibit things they have no authority to prohibit, uh, that we would exhibit our autonomy, our sovereignty, and put the those in government on notice that we will not comply with that. But the uh, question of how we lasted this long and then why are we now on the precipice? You know, what has degraded over time? And, you know, we've talked about issues of the education system that may play a role. There might be other things. We've Maybe we've had it too easy and freedom has not been uh, recognized or appreciated because it was just kind of handed to us in younger generations. Uh, your perspective as you're out there on the campaign trail, I know there's a lot of uh, yearning for a, rest a restoring of that liberty. But the question is, what have we where have we gone wrong that we're so close to losing it? Well, the biggest factor that has resulted in the destruction of liberty in America is the rise of the administrative state. You see, um, in the period following the Civil War, 1860 to 1865, after the Civil War, so it's after 1865 and all the way up into through the progressive era in the 1920s, we had this movement where in our own country, 
people began to admire socialism, particularly academics. They actually admired communism. And one of the things that they found fascinating after the Civil War was Bismarck's Republic, in which Bismarck made the decision to create an administrative state. And all of these academics in our country who had been trained classically went to Germany, to Bonn and to Heidelberg and other places in Germany, where they went to what were called the historic schools, and they learned Hegelian socialism, that is collectivism. Friedrich Hegel is the father of collectivism and the teacher of Karl Marx. And so they learned, for example, to hate the Declaration of Independence and to hate the Constitution because collectivism rejects the idea of individual rights and rejects the idea that society is based on an agreement between those who govern with those who go are governed that the powers of those who govern are limited. And so in Germany, they argued for the creation of an administrative state, created it, and it was even superior to the German legislature. And so that message then was absorbed by literally hundreds of academics who came back and replicated the German system of education in the United States and led people to believe that here too, we need an administrative state. And so Felix Frankfurter, who's a justice of the Supreme Court, became one of the primary advocates for an administrative state in America. And the rest is history. Now we are here with this massive administrative state, which circumvents the constitutional branches of government since its creation. It has combined legislative, executive, and judicial authority, the very thing James Madison described as the very definition of tyranny. And three quarters of our laws are made by those who are in these agencies, not by those we elect. And as a result, we no longer have a functioning republic. We have a bureaucratic oligarchy, and it is precisely this bureaucracy. It is precisely the Department of Homeland Security and, and precisely the FDA and the FTC and the EPA and the Consumer Product Safety Commission and the Consumer Credit Bureau that has been created by executive order. All of these things and more are part and parcel of this authoritarian government, which doesn't care about our rights, which cares all about its own power, and which expects us to slovenly do as we are ordered and to accept the consequences of a radical agenda like keeping the borders open, even though it sacrifices American lives and liberty and property and makes American citizens third class in favor of illegal aliens who, be, who assume a first class role in this system of giving privileges and benefits. So that's where we are. And the only way we can achieve adequate protection for our liberties and restoration of a society of growth with no crime, with low crime and with low unemployment and low inflation and great economic opportunity and great liberty mm -hmm. is if we end the administrative state and restore the limits to government power and ensure that the rights of the people are protected again.
Jonathan, I know you're not naive about any of these issues. You've you've taken on some of the oligarchy in court like FDA and NFTC and other things and succeeded, but recognize that these authoritarians in those agencies have thumbed their nose at court orders, uh, you know, correcting their uh, unconstitutional behavior, for instance. And that, you know, elicited this response to you. Well, I've got to do better. And now you're running for the United States Senate. Yet uh, another aspect of the uphill battle besides getting you into office, which we're going to do, is that your fellow Americans serving in Congress, whether they be Democrat or Republican, very few know of the history you discussed just now about the combining of the three branches of government into one or two into one. In any case, when you violate the separation of powers, you now have established precedent to have something like an emperor or a king or queen ruling over us without constitutional limitations uh, and without having actual constitutional authority. And I'm just wondering, what do you perceive or how do you perceive going in there and bringing this up as far as uh, maybe a battle cry, but something that's different in terms of what's going on in the halls of Congress and the Senate? Well, uh, there's a dire need for a constitutional conscience Senate. And Rand Paul has established himself repeatedly as someone who is willing to stand up for the Constitution. Mike Lee has. There are others. But as far as having someone who has the detailed knowledge of the administrative state, how to de- knows how to defeat it and understands the Constitution, intimately in its violations, well, I will be in rarefied air uh, in the Senate, but it's precisely because of that role that I think I can add tremendously to Mike Lee, to Rand Paul, to those who believe in freedom, working together with them closely to ensure that we pass legislation that I'm, I'm capable of drafting on day one. I mean, I'm capable of implementing all of the proposals that are in my whole uh, vision for America to, to downsize government and to liberate the private sector, get us back to a, an economy with $2 a gallon gas and inflation eliminated. We can do all these things, but it will require the right legislation. I will draft, draft that legislation. I will rally those who are in there to work with me, and I will fight to convince the American people of the need for the legislation and an explanation of why, without it, we will suffer a loss of our freedoms. And I believe the American people have had it. I think they're sick and tired of what has happened to our government under Biden. And I think they want freedom to be protected and they want a, a future for their kids so that they can enjoy the, the wonderful blessings of liberty that they have enjoyed and not live in a state that is either dominated by an authoritarian domestic regime or is basically mm. assumed under the control of something like a communist China. And this is not far-fetched. This is imminently likely unless we fundamentally change the direction of our country towards freedom and away from authoritarianism. Yeah. Uh Speaking of authoritarianism, we've discussed a lot of times over the last few years. In fact, we've been banned in the platform for our discussion of it when we disagreed with much of the action of the Biden administration uh, and various uh, representatives therein in the, in the federal level and some on the state level where it mandated the utilization of experimental injections 
uh, to control uh, the spread of something it could not stop. And of course, uh, masking issues, distancing issues where we've, we've heard about Fauci admitting that the six foot rule was just <laughs> made up, uh, but also specific to some of these companies that have benefited uh, to the tune of maybe billions in profit or more uh, like uh, Pfizer, for instance, uh, the state attorney general in Texas, Ken Paxton, has filed suit against Pfizer, claiming it committed fraud. And the defense by Pfizer, and th- this is a Brownstone Institute article, is insisting that the PrEP Act invoked by President uh, Trump's Secretary of Health and Human Services at the time, Alex Azar, provides complete immunity for Pfizer's COVID products. And I'm thinking there was no uh, blanket immunity when it com- comes to fraud. Uh, I don't think anyway. And but yet that whole idea of granting blanket immunity to corporations, that seems, again, smacks of kings, queens and emperors, not a constitutional Republican form of government. Yeah, we can't give immunity to the pharmaceutical industry, and we certainly can't disallow suits against it for fraud, particularly in this instance, because they were all part and parcel to a massive fraud on the American public. They certainly understood that the vaccine was not safe and effective. And they were also aware that all of the arguments that if you if, if you get vaccinated, you're not going to, to get the disease and you're not going to pass on the disease to others and that you won't suffer adverse effects in, except in extremely rare circumstances. All of that was false. And so people are now coming to that realization as the information slowly and inevitably leaks out revealing the horrors of this whole horrible institution that was created to benefit the financial interests of the pharmaceutical industry and to deprive us of really safe and effective treatment alternatives like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, or other, uh, let's say, well, I'd like to say competing not only ideas, but remedies from the natural products industry, uh, homeopathics, et cetera. And if we believe in freedom, we would then free up all the innovations potential in a marketplace where we have innovated in America amazingly over the last century and more, despite the obstacles to our freedom, thinking that we were a free country, realizing that since the progressive era post-Civil War, that there has been a constraint against freedom, particularly in the realm of healthcare, healing, where we have devolved into a monopoly and established monopoly practice acts on the state level, even that limit competition and the innovation that would occur in freedom that can't occur in monopoly. That doesn't occur in monopoly. And in case it does, it's stomped out quickly because it violates what they call the standard of care that they won't ever define, except they know it when they don't see it. Yes. Um, What we've had is bureaucratized medicine, and with that comes a massive dose of propaganda, and in in this instance, also massive censorship. Never before in our history have we experienced the degree of censorship that has accompanied the government's propaganda campaign in favor of the vaccine. All those who wish to criticize it were blocked from social media, were disbanded, and otherwise, they were banned from social media and otherwise. Uh, deplatformed and so forth. Um, And the effect of that was to retard the spread of information. But you know, it's the brilliant genius of free speech is even in instances of widespread, diligent suppression like we just experienced, inevitably the word got out. Inevitably people came to hear the voice of Dr. Robert Malone and others 
critical of the vaccine. And inevitably, uh, there arose a huge constituency, very large indeed today, that said to the United States government, we uh, know that you are lying to us. We know that. Then the things like the Twitter files happened. And invariably, the whole uh, of the emperor being without clothes became apparent to the rest of us. And we discovered indeed that our government had betrayed us and that our government aided and abetted the uh, suppression of scientific innovation and information necessary to save lives and is, is equally culpable with that F word that is more offensive than the F word you're thinking of, Fauci, <laughs> yeah. uh, who is responsible for the deaths of over one plus one one million one hundred thousand plus lives because of this. Treatment was squelched. The whole emphasis on, was on vaccination, even to the exclusion of treatment. And people died in droves. And then they lied to us about the nature of the treatment of the vaccine, when indeed it really isn't a vaccine. And when in fact it is a dangerous thing, compounding, not alleviating yeah. COVID. Yeah, clearly. And you may have seen some reference points in uh, many scientists and doctors now pointing to the injection that they call a vaccine itself as being responsible for upwards of 17 million deaths, well beyond what was claimed in terms of direct COVID interaction. Now, innovation, it's a big part of what you've been all about too, protecting the free spirit, free enterprise in America, uh, companies and individuals that are developing wonderful options for people to care for their health, to prevent disease, et cetera. But uh, when it comes to non-drug options, they don't allow you to directly say this prevents anything, this treats anything, this cures anything. So we have severe restrictions on the freedom of speech of the average American, and many of them didn't know about it until COVID. I've been warning people, as have you, for decades now. Uh, there's a, a great organization you're a part of as well. You've helped out, and we've featured here the Alliance for Natural Health, USA, UK, Europe, et cetera. But they do incredible work, good people, including Dr. Robert Verkirk, who's a friend of ours. But there's a question here from them. Will the FDA supplement bomb detonate in 2024? Now, you have warned about some things related to the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994, that there are some weaknesses in it, even though it was better than what we had before in terms of where they were going to eliminate any competition to the pharmaceutical products out there via supplements. But the things that were provided for under Deshay in 94 are now being morphed by the FDA if they get away with it into uh, a stringent pre-market approval process for new supplements, which is quite different from what it initially was intended to be. Uh, the ANH is warning about what could happen this year. What do you see happening? Uh, what's emerging now? Well, I think that the FDA and the drug industry has used every opportunity to uh, morph the whole Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act into a vehicle to basically maintain censorship of health information and prevent uh, innovation in the dietary supplement field by a broad interpretation of a provision I objected to from the start, the new dietary ingredient provision of the Foods Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act, where if a um, supplement 
uh, or a nutritional ingredient within a supplement was not first marketed before the adoption date of the DSHEA and thus grandfathered, it would be deemed a new dietary ingredient and require proof to the FDA satisfaction that the new dietary ingredient was safe and efficacious, which proof now is virtually uh, impossible to provide to the satisfaction of the agency. Uh, this is all part of a broad movement to really um, prevent substances that are even ones already in the market as dietary supplements from staying in the market by a broad uh, interpretation of not only the new dietary ingredient provision, which reaches new ingredients that are derived directly from foods and have been safe in the food supply, so they shouldn't be deemed new dietary ingredients, but are under the agency's interpretation. Um, and also existing sub substances like vitamin B6 or oxidine, which the agency, after it's been marketed for decades safely and very effectively for people who are in need of it particularly, um, was declared to be uh, unlawful for sale because it had first been the subject of drug investigation. So there are provisions in the act left in there because there were radicals uh, who wanted the FDA to have the vehicles of control within it and exploit those. They have now done that and are continuing to do that. And this will continue to be a bane, a real burden and a detriment to the survival of the supplement industry. As we know, they are completely trying to destroy the homeopathic industry. And all of this is to the benefit of the drug companies to alleviate them of every single actual and potential source of competition. So the agency is but a patsy for and a servant of the drug industry. Yeah, and unfortunately, as I come back to the members of Congress and the Senate, with very rare exception, you would... You could, and many of our friends have complained to them initially, written letters to say, hey, the FDA is abusing its authority. Can we have some help here? They would write a letter to the FDA. The FDA would say, well, you'll have to take it up. It's, you know, it's you in Congress will need to change the law, <laughs> something to that effect. Basically, a stalemate, nothing happens. And oftentimes, the uh, representative or senator does nothing more than the, these companies contact you, you sue them, the FDA, for instance, and beat them and find out that ultimately they won't abide by the court order. So we're at a point uh, where a stalemate gets worse, especially if they begin to strengthen their their power grab, their authoritarian stranglehold over the freedom of Americans to choose, uh, you know, bodily autonomy to decide what they want to put in their bodies or not in the care of their health or the prevention of disease. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that are occurring in uh, the various agencies, a lot of it executive branch, uh, that are trying to counteract our freedom of speech when it comes to the lack of efficacy of many of the products that they mandate use for, including vaccinations prior to even COVID. And they're concerned that, oh, wow, people aren't uh, taking their kids and just getting them shot up the way they used to. What are we going to do? And and one of the, uh, the stories I'm just going to telegraph next hour talks about their strategy of more fear mongering. Right. They're they're the only way they seem to succeed like they did in covid to get many people to take experimental injections is to foment fear. And I want to get spiritual right here. I believe biblically, uh, we, as we're told, uh, God didn't give us the spirit of fear. That comes from someplace else. And yet our government is invested in that someplace else. Yes, uh, it is a highly corrupt 
self-interested uh, bureaucracy and uh, legislature, by and large, that we confront. And until we see individuals who will rise above self to the extent that they love their country more than themselves, then we're going to see this self-dealing continue. And it has been with us since the sec since uh, really the origins of the Republic, but in a major way since the Second World War. And uh, this whole idea of creating protectionist barriers out of regulation to keep big business fat and happy and to prevent uh, innovation and competition is a mainstay that has been supported even by the, the rhinos in the Republican side. And it has been also the same game plus radical politics added that is feeding the Democrats. The Democrats and the Republicans have these problems, but the Democrats have the worst of it because they are driven by a radical liberal agenda that leads inevitably to a government that is all controlling. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just the, the reality of it. And unless we uh, come to that realization and fight for our freedoms and uh, win them back, we will lose them. Yeah. And that's why I'm doing this, because I certainly don't want to live in, as a slave to the state, but I definitely don't want my children and your children and all of our children mm-hmm. to have to grow up in a country where freedom is the rare Thing and where servitude to the state is the ordinary obligation of a citizen. Right. Folks, I, I, I want to remind you that I'm not advocating only doing one thing, like, you know, as we support Jonathan Emord and his efforts to get in the United States Senate. That's just a starting point. That's not the ending point. Or even uh, having a better president than what we have now, which wouldn't be hard to do. Uh, there's so much more, and we as Americans, individuals, Uh, that recognize our rights come from God, not government, must stand up in defense and also defy unconstitutional edicts, mandates, prohibitions, et cetera, and live as free people. And uh, yeah, there are consequences to doing so, but the consequences to not doing so, I believe are much worse, as Jonathan had mentioned, for living as a slave is not living. And if you want your kids to live as slaves, then do nothing. In the meantime, we're not doing nothing. We're doing something and anything you can think to do in addition to the things we discuss, I'm open to hearing it, y'all. Please let us know. Now, I mentioned Robert Califf of the FDA um, wanting to counter misinformation, which the irony there is the misinformation is coming from the FDA. Uh, but here's an article. Whenever that, you hear, mm-hmm. I'm sorry to interrupt, Robert. Whenever sure. you hear a government official say that they want to correct misinformation, what that really means is that they want to censor your speech and substitute for it government propaganda. That's what that means. Correct. Yeah. And so now let's find out about this government propaganda coming from the government, not the people. Uh, this article by Michael Neverdakis, Ph.D. at The Defender headline reads, FDA violated agency guidelines by promoting off-label use of COVID shots to treat long COVID. This despite the fact we're covering scientific evidence revealing that one shot, then two shot increases the risk of what they call long COVID, which is why we're developing a long COVID recovery summit, interviewing experts from all over the world to help people. And I know there's not 100% disagreement on what it is, but darn straight, if we're going to go to non-authoritarians outside of government to get options for you to heal or recover as they promote the off-label use of COVID-19 injections, they don't even work for the on-label use. 
so Robert, that is definitely true. And um, what I should, what I, what is coming to me uh, through the ether, Robert, now is a breaking news item, mm-hmm. and that is that as we fight to regain control of government, as I fight against Tim Kaine and 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 my struggle immediately to get us on the ballot, which is requiring thousands of signatures statewide, and we are up to it. Our people are all over. Literally over 100 volunteers are in the field today. I'm going to give a challenge now to my good friend, Robert, to, to come out here with me in January, bring the audience with us, ask your listeners in Virginia to join us, and we will spend a few days, three days, collectively working to get the signatures on these petitions and get me on the ballot. I think you and I and uh, uh, one or two volunteers from the audience who join us, maybe it'll be a huge number, uh, can can assist in this massive statewide effort. And I've got a, a personal challenge for the both of us. And that is in the course of three days to get 400 petition signatures to support us on the ballot. And to do that in January and then again in February, and we can broadcast from in the field at the locations where we're meeting with people to achieve those ends. All right. Sign me up. I don't know how to get there or when to get there, but you got to let me know after the show. So if I can be there, I'll be there with you, my brother. Uh, you know that uh, I, I have. Yes, sir. I have invested a lot of Ann my. Parker. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to say, and and Parker is our uh, petition director for the state. And what she'll do is locate an area where signatures are needed. Uh, And there are 11 congressional districts. We need to get 800 signatures in each district by March the 15th. We need to get uh, a minimum of 10,000, but we're shooting for 15,000 signatures statewide. And what Ann will do is send us to some area where they're underperforming. And you, me, Robert, and our group, uh, of listeners, as well as other supporters, and certainly our volunteers, will get together and apply uh, maximum effort to harvesting the signatures. It's not hard to do. It does require time and effort. And it's just a large state. There are 11 congressional districts. And it is, you know, the winter time, So people are oftentimes not out there uh, because of it. But we're getting huge numbers of signatures at each venue where I speak and at every one of the gun shows and at each of various sporting events and also from uh, various locations like DMVs and post offices where it's allowed. But much more needs to be done between now and March the 15th. And so we're challenging our volunteers to do more. And I'm going to have Robert out here. We're going to have a blast. We're going to meet in the heart of Virginia We're going to meet great people who love liberty and they want to sign up into our ranks and sign our petition too. So it'll, it'll introduce Robert to the day-to-day aspect of the campaign for just a couple of days. And you'll be able to broadcast from those sites to our audience. So they'll be able to see. 
Wow. Well, look, I'm committed to doing what I can to restore this republic, to salvage it and make it, maybe make it better than it ever was. I am uh, not delusional about these efforts. As I said, it isn't just about one man. Jonathan is not driven by ego here. If you've known Jonathan as I have for many years, he knows what he knows. He knows what he's capable of. And I do too. We've witnessed it over decades together as friends, much less his presence here on the show. But everybody has a sphere of influence. Everybody, you are you are a, a creation of the most holy, of God, and therefore you are connected to the source of divine wisdom, of healing, of inspiration, of upliftment. And should you decide that freedom is worth saving, <laughs> worth restoring, that is a calling that I think is a worthwhile and worthy calling. This is a peaceful, nonviolent attempt and effort to restore that which we believe is our birthright, your birthright in defense of liberty, not the running roughshod over anybody else's freedom. And we believe in and we support the freedom of other people to disagree with me, you, others. It doesn't matter in that regard. But to use the force and power of government illicitly, unconstitutionally to violate the freedom of any of us, that's where it crosses the line. And that's what we've seen. It isn't so much that there going to be, aren't going to be disagreements among people in America because we are a nation of a lot of different <laughs> viewpoints and, and belief systems. But in freedom, we have the best opportunity to create a better place, better space, a better world, and better opportunities for our children and their children yet to be. Or if you're already a grandpa, those kids that are already here. Question is, is it important enough for you? If it is, you'll do anything to help. If it isn't, then, of course, you'll find every excuse not to help. And whatever that is for you is, is between you and that which created you. Now, I am not judging you. Jonathan is not judging you either, but we we look like we have an opportunity that's quite unique at this time to have an impact. And many out there think it's futile, it's worthless. And as, as I say that, I don't believe it is, but I do also know that it's a daunting task. Turning around a ship as big as the United States of America doesn't happen overnight or even with one election, but it starts with the the, the movement on that rudder to start changing and shifting things. I've said this as well. Ron Paul has endorsed Jonathan Emord, as have I, and, and a number of other great freedom-loving Americans. Even if Ron Paul were president, that wouldn't end it. That's the point of each of us having to step up, stand up, and, and defend the freedom that we believe is ours by our birthright, and that was written into the Constitution, not to grant us any, any rights at all, but to defend us or protect us or have the government directed to protect us uh, to uh, not violate those rights or allow others to do so, or when that happens, that there's some recourse. Um, that's just me letting loose, Jonathan, as we're speaking about these things right now. No question involved there. Well, Robert, you have been a powerful voice for health, freedom, and liberty for so long. And I think the degree of persuasion and influence you exercise, and to a degree even unwittingly, um, is extraordinary. And I think most everyone in the health freedom movement knows who you are, knows what you stand for, and appreciates your integrity and your commitment to principle. And this is what we need to do. Most of us in your listening audience, most of us are of the same persuasion and that we love liberty. Uh, and as a result, um, we are in a minority of outspoken people, but in a majority among the American people. And if we don't take that majority and help it become aware of the necessity of being vocal, are like us, 
and standing up for liberty than another minority, a radical minority that means to create a communist state in America to replace our republic, will indeed proceed without any major obstacles to achieve that end. Mm -hmm. And they are relentless, as our friend Cheryl Chumley says, socialists never sleep. And indeed, that is the case. And so we've got to marshal those of us who have been in this fight and know how to wage it to run for office, to do what is necessary to save the country and to save our constitution, our republic. And we can do this. Indeed, we are in the best position, not the other side. It's just that we have to motivate and inspire a majority of Americans to open their eyes and appreciate that this is the 11th hour. Our freedoms are at stake. We are at the barricades. It would, be, it would be better to save our nation now and do whatever is necessary to achieve that end than to have it collapse and try to revive it after another power has assumed control of it. Mm. Yeah, it's, a, it's too late, as I said, to grow food when you're hungry. It's too late to try to reestablish freedom when you've lost it, even though we will battle on if need be. But the idea is to not lose it in the first place, or if you've lost part of it, work to regain it before it's completely lost. There's another story here as we wrap up. Uh, I've got a few more minutes here. The Sacred Fire of Liberty edition of the Robert Scott Bell Show. Check out robertscottbell.com slash listen for the chat room, as well as various other places where you're listening or watching live or later, including Q Streaming TV. Uh, we have a link there, uh, 24 hours a day of Robert Scott Bell show if you want to catch up on health, freedom, and healing liberty. But in Virginia, Jonathan, you've talked about some of these issues that impact Virginia as they do elsewhere uh, all across the nation, uh, including the strange agendas within the schools. But this one is really interesting. This relates to our borders. Under the law of nations, a nation must have borders, and, and they you know can protect them and should protect them and determine who's coming in for good or for bad and protect uh, the nation. That's part of the constitutional authority of a, a federal government. Uh, when they violate or don't do it, then the states need to take, uh, take that role on like we've seen in Texas. But there's a story out of New York where Mayor Eric Adams is now forcing students into virtual classrooms so that they can place the migrants in the school gym or gyms there. And it's like, is there anything that's more obviously impacting the various states, even far afield from the southern border, that the Biden policy of open borders, even if they claim it or not, is clearly a disaster? Oh, it's clearly a disaster, all right. And as someone who's been to the southern border, I can tell you firsthand, just being there five weeks ago, that it is absolutely the most horrendous situation for the rights and liberties of American people because they're allowing people in and they're processing them within 72 hours and they're giving them welfare and food stamps and uh, they're also giving them cash and phone cell phones and they are asking them where they want to go in the United States. And through non-governmental organizations, they're paying their fare and they're sending them all over the United States. And we're not talking about, as the administration says, eight million people. We're talking about tens of millions, probably in, at least in the 20 to 30 million zone uh, who are forming a massive underground economy of people who have never pledged allegiance to the United States, to the Constitution, 
who have never been vetted even one bit uh, so as to determine whether they're, they have a criminal past. We know directly that the cartels do control who enters this country. They are terrorist organizations and they are letting in uh, sex traffickers, drug traffickers, terrorists, uh, and petty criminals, murderers, uh, all sorts of nefarious characters are coming through. And even these characters are signing up for welfare, food stamps, free cash, uh, and uh, legal help, education, and so on at the taxpayer's expense. In fact, in, in asking the CBP chief to help us estimate the cost of each one of these of the millions and millions that are coming through, it's it's estimated that in one year, the American taxpayer is paying over $100,000 per person. Wow. Yeah, you get free airplane tickets, bus tickets, all kinds of free stuff, free coverage. They're going to let you vote. I mean, most Americans don't get some of these things that the government is offering people that, get, that come in here illegally. It, it, absolutely astonishing, Jonathan. By the way, we have uh, the upcoming Health Freedom Expo, the virtual version of it. We're going to do a new and live panel discussion on health freedom. And Jonathan E. Mord and I will be there as well as uh, Diane Miller and a few others that are friends of ours and love freedom like we do. Uh, in addition to all that we did in October in Chicago area at the Health Freedom Expo, where even if you were there, you couldn't see and hear everything. And so check out trinityhealthfreedomexpo.com to get your tickets to that event. It's live and it's at home, right, through the Whova app. You can access all of it. And that's coming up the 17th and 18th of February. That's just following up on the Autism Health Summit in San Antonio, Texas, where I will be. Uh, and you can check those out in the upcoming events tab at robertscottbell.com. Then I have a couple of events in Atlanta, including the Warners putting on another Health Freedom a Wellness a Parenting Revolution event and Tia Severino with the Next Steps Conference, next-steps.info. So check out all of that and more upcoming events, some of which, again, Jonathan is attending or participating in, where you can hear more of the commitment to freedom that he lives, sleeps, eats, and breathes, as as do I, Jonathan. So as we're wrapping up this this uh, uh, hour of the Robert Scott Bell Show, Health, Sacred Fire of Liberty edition, uh, tonight again, you're going to be in Virginia beach for an event. You're heading that way. That's why we have you on phone. If anybody's in the Virginia beach area, is there a, a location you can reveal for this uh, tea party type event? Yeah, let me see here. Hold on, Robert. It is, uh, the, hold on. Mm -hmm. Hold on. I'm so sorry, Robert. All right. By the way, you all can check emord4va.com to learn about the events uh, upcoming. Some are being added like almost instantaneously sometimes. So uh, you want to stay in touch if you want to volunteer to help out or if you want to donate uh, to the campaign, emord4va.com. And we have that linked up in the show notes. So it is, it is the Virginia Beach Tea Party at 2849-2849 Princess, Princess Anne Lane, Virginia Beach, Virginia. 2849 Princess Anne Lane. Excellent. So uh, safe journey there, my friend. And, and I know it's going to be a rousing speech that you'll give. I know you can speak extemporaneously and normally you do. You don't require a script, which is, again, due to your authenticity, that you believe what you're talking about. You don't need a script because when people ask you questions, you know exactly where you're coming from to respond to it. It could be a new question you've never heard of. It's not swaying you on principle. So if you've not witnessed Jonathan Nemord on in the field uh, interacting that way, it's a sight to behold. And it's something I think 
think we we all crave that authenticity. That's why I think uh, inevitably in Virginia, even people who aren't normally Republicans will vote for you because they see what's on the other side with Tim Kaine and what he's doing, what he's participating in, who's funding him between George Soros and Alex Soros and the Hillary Clinton regime as well. Yes, there's a recent ethics problem that he had, and it has been uh, found that he's continuing to commit the ethics violation in the Senate, all in service to the interests of his very far left wife, Ann Holton. And that is now coming out in a future edition of the Robert Scott Bell Show. We may discuss that to some extent. All right. Well, we'll talk about that for sure. Uh, in the meantime, I wish I could be there with, with you now, but it sounds like we're going to try and coordinate me being out there uh, later this month. Uh, hopefully it times out really well. Uh, my mom's birthday, 90th birthday is coming up on the 29th. We're going to celebrate in Atlanta on the 28th. For those that want to participate in that in the Atlanta area, please reach out to Superdon, askrsb at gmail.com. Let me know. We'll follow up on that. And Jonathan, God bless you, my brother, and love to you and your family, as well as the entire uh, support team that you have with you on the campaign trail. And we'll look forward to seeing you soon. Yes, sir, Robert. Thanks so much, my friend. All right. That's Jonathan Emord, Sacred Fire of Liberty. Also, emord.com for his practice there uh, as an attorney beating back the oligarchy, the FDA, FTC, et cetera, whenever those things are threatening our freedom to heal, to have bodily autonomy, to speak. All of these things, as I said, are acknowledged rights coming from God, not government. And, uh, you know, now is not time to be quiet about these things, as you might imagine. And I'm glad that I can speak out on them here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, two hours a day, five days a week live with an additional hour on Sundays for our Sunday conversation where I get to delve into what makes you tick? Why do you believe what you believe? And we are, I believe, benefited by learning of others' experiences and how they've drawn conclusions that might be different than our own. Not necessarily that we have to change our own perspectives, but recognize the broad spectrum of experiences of being a human being created of God on this planet, wherever you are. And I appreciate that opportunity to share uh, those inspiring stories with you each and every week as well. So robertscabell.com, sign up for the newsletter. Uh, You can do that by texting my initials RSB to the uh, number 66866. That's double six, eight, six, six. You can text RSB, my initials, and you'll be prompted to enter your email address in there and you can sign up for free. Also our monthly Zoom AMAs. These are a lot of fun. We do this by Zoom so we can see one another for those that want to and ask me questions, ask Super Don questions, ask each other questions and answer them too. It's a great community of people helping people. And I'm so grateful and honored and blessed that You guys are a part of it. And if you want to step up and be part of that, we also, with our homeopathic hits and detox dialogues now, we give you access to the video versions of those after the show is over to make it easier and easier uh, for you to determine how you want to move forward in freedom, in health freedom, in healing liberty. So with that, we're going to take a break. Just give you a heads up on hour two. We do have a homeopathic hit. This one is an unusual remedy. So unusual that I have never used it. So it's about time that happened, right? We've done a bunch of them already, so we'll learn about that. Also, uh, the propaganda from the government and FDA is rising ever higher. FDA's caliph has some some words. We've got some words back, particularly the quantum realm of communication. What does that even mean? Danny Katz, the language of betterarchy, a blueprint for uniting against tyranny. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to talk to uh, Danny Katz an hour or two. I hope you'll join us. Stick around, share the show, robertscabbell.com, where I remind you that the power to heal is yours. 
All right. I'm really excited this hour. We're going to have a brand new guest on the Robert Scott Bell Show, Danny Katz. And uh, she has written an extraordinary book on the language of better archie. Uh, we're going to learn about that. It's quantum communication, could it be? I like that. I always am wanting to learn about how best to communicate, utilize the words, the languages that we are aware of, much less the ones we create, <laughs> to resonate and to land for folks that are really aligned with this principle of health, freedom, healing, liberty, bodily autonomy, etc. cetera. Uh, that is a part and partial to the Robert Scott Bell Show. So that's coming up this hour. Uh, we do have some updates on phony Fauci and what he's admitted. What he's admitted, of course, the things we've gotten banned for, uh, we are we've been right the whole time, but uh, we're taken off of uh, and, and uh, platforms and and censored because we're right. Isn't that interesting? When they censor you, when have the good guys ever been the guys doing the censoring? Isn't that interesting to consider? So we got that coming up. Uh, also, as I mentioned, my mom's 90th birthday is coming up on the 29th of January, but we're going to celebrate on the 28th, and that's in the Atlanta area. And I have just you know, my heart is so happy and so thankful to Bobri Oren, who brought to our attention the Folium products, foliumpx.com. This is the Chernobyl level antioxidant that was created because of the Chernobyl disaster in the 1980s that occurred around 86, if you remember that. And these botanicals, the blended together in such a way that they counteracted the ionizing radiation that would have killed everybody that sa it saved them. And, and, and indeed, heavy metals, other things that we need to unload. Not everybody can afford to do heavy invasive therapies to do so, and now you don't have to. We can take the, this orally. The Folium Original, the Folium Immuno, the Folium Relax, this three-pronged approach is quite profound to break through that ceiling in your healing. If you are at a stopping point, if you are at a point where I, I can't seem to break through, I've done well, but I'm just not getting there, consider the Folium products. Again, use the code RSB10 to get a little discount when you order, go to foliumpx.com. If you have questions for Bobri, he's at many of the events that I'm at, and uh, you can always ask questions there and visit with him as well. But in the meantime, don't wait. Reach out, and let's celebrate life together, including mom's 90th birthday coming up. So that is great news for this this uh, this calendar year to start 2024 on a, on a big high note, so to speak. Also, uh, Nutritional Frontiers, they have a lot of special offers in the opening quarter of the year for detoxification. That's when people mostly think about detoxing when they're thinking of weight loss and other things. And the products that they have that are on sale are wide and varied. Check out nutritionalfrontiers.com and enter the code RSB15 when you order them and you'll get 15% off the already incredible discounted prices. So you can double dip because you're part of the Robert Scott Bell Show family. So nutritionalfrontiers.com. They also have the certified organic U.S. grown hemp products that I use, CBD, and this is the, the mint version, but they have a transdermal that's the best ever, and you can use the code RSB15 there at cbdnf.com. So let's see what else we got to do this hour. How about let's cover the censorship industrial complex. It's coming from those that are claiming we're spreaders of misinformation, like the Fear and Death Administration, the FDA. Uh, the head of FDA, Robert Califf, I believe his name is, yes, He's calling for more plain language scientific evidence to dilute vaccine misinformation. Now, they never really define vaccine misinformation because if you challenge them on the information that they claim to be misinformation, they in invariably can't respond except with epithets or derogatory, uh, uh, you know, uh, ad hominem attacks or, again, outright censorship. And... 
I'm, I'm comfortable in saying this because their efforts at counteracting what they don't like us to be saying are not to actually provide more plain language scientific evidence for their, what I call, sacrament in their church of pharmaceutical mysticism, a.k.a. vaccines. It's not to actually go into the science and plain language of their vaccines and the benefits that they claim that they, they give you. It is specifically, and, and I'll quote this, and Super Don, you can validate this or invalidate this. If my reading of this is right, they're talking about sharing firsthand information about the hardships of vaccine-preventable diseases to drive behavioral shifts back to get shots. In other words, they're not touting the scientific validation of how great their vaccines are. They are just wanting to fear-monger you into getting those shots that you're no longer afraid to get or, or you know, afraid of the thing that they say you must ha- get in order not to get that thing. <laughs> I don't know if I'm making any sense anymore. I'm afraid that Robert Califf has been listening to this show because how many times have we said, you know, you guys are stupid. You're doing this the wrong way. You keep beating people over the head with a science stick thinking, oh, we just have to hit them harder with the stick. Uh, you know, and, and <laughs> yeah. then all of a sudden they'll love vaccines and everybody will, will agree with us. Uh, I'm afraid that Robert Califf might have gotten the memo. And so mm. he's decided to change tactics, right? So, so now what we're going to do is we're going to freak everybody out and make everybody scared. Uh, and therefore, then they will be running to the vaccine as the solution because we'll scare them enough. Kind of the same tactic they used with COVID, right? Exactly the same tactic. And it worked for a lot of people. But the question is, is it going to work again? Because many of those people experienced horrible effects of the so-called vaccine and now are looking back on all of the vaccines prior to COVID-19 or uh, mRNA injection technologies. And they're saying, you know what? They lied to us about the COVID jab. I wonder if they've been lying to us about all the others. And it's not just the people that are holistically inclined. It's the medical doctors that used to think we were bonkers. It's the PhDs that would call us names. And now they're looking back and going, I I, I bring this example up one more time, Super Don. Mm -hmm. Peter McCullough, one of the world's most renowned cardiac, cardiac doctors, cardiologists, more published than just, I think, maybe any of them. And he was, of course, like many medical doctors, completely pro-vaccine and oblivious to the dangers, or maybe outspoken saying there aren't any, because he believed the lies that they were being told. They were programmed. And on this very show, after you know a number of interviews over the course of the COVID years, we, we talked where he admitted he still would get the flu shot every year, et cetera. And uh, this was uh, the event we did in Boise, Idaho. And he said, I was vaccinated. My kids were fully vaccinated. My grandchildren will get no vaccines from a medical doctor credentialed and it's like how are you going something to something that? convinced him something changed his mind yeah and it wasn't fda doing science talk <laughs> or <laughs> fear-mongering and that's the point of right. if you think they're listening to us super d and i don't know if they are robert caliph they're going to fail miserably if fear-mongering is their only tactic which it is at this point because if they come forward with the science of vaccinology the recognition that, as we pointed out, many others, that there is no scientific uh, standard there. There is no double-blinded, bl- bl- uh, double inert placebo-controlled studies to determine safety or efficacy. The gold standard, according to them, of determining whether a drug is real or not or it can help you or not. They don't do that with these vaccines. And therefore, it falls, except they say, well, it wouldn't be ethical to do that. Really? How is it ethical to experiment upon people, children included, with 
technology that has not been in the marketplace for 20 years, even if you can claim you've studied it that long. How, how can you determine safety when you, you test a dozen rats on something and then bring it to millions of people? They don't have the science on their side, Super Don, so I think they're going to fail miserably. I, yeah, I mean, it's a, they, they don't know what they're doing. In fact, I, th- I think it's ironic we've got Danny Katz on talking about language. Maybe yes. she, maybe she'll have some tips, maybe for Robert Califf. He wants to use plain language, and I'm, I'm looking at that. I'm going, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. What, what kind of plain language is he going to try and get hip and and cool with the, with the youth and start and use throw some slang in there? Or so I, I don't know, but I, they, they, they honestly don't know how. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that you've got so many people in the population right now after what happened with COVID that mm-hmm. are looking at these guys with the side eye. Yeah. They don't trust them at this point. Mm-hmm. And so uh, then here's the latest in that regard, Super D. Yes. Fauci, you know, behind closed doors reportedly admitted that the six foot rule, which we always called out as lun- idiotic, much like <laughs> the, the rule you could walk in with a mask and sit down and take it off. I mean, all of these right. things, or right. stand six feet apart, boarding an airplane, then get on the airplane and you sit on each other's laps on and on it goes that the six foot social distancing rule just sort of appeared. And there was no scientific basis. And there were so many, I mean, you know, PhDs, MDs, Mm -hmm. uh, scientists, doctors that were looking at this and they were going, what, Mm -hmm. where, where did, where did this come from? And it was just, oh, uh, those CDC says it's six feet. And everybody was looking at going, why six feet? You know, how, where, where did the, why are you guys doing this? And you're making us do this. And it it made people do crazy things when they came out with a six foot rule. I remember there was this one picture of this guy that was standing in line uh, at the grocery store, yeah. and you know those those uh, swimming pool noodle things that you the kids used to. <laughs> yes. hang? He had a hat that yes. was made with those, and it went out six feet to make sure that nobody would get within six feet of him as he was walking around. He had these these. It was insane, yeah. and so now it turns out now this was behind closed doors, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't find it on YouTube. I couldn't find you know the statement that he made, but. I know a guy mm-hmm. who knows a guy. All right, I like it when you know a guy who knows a guy who who sent me. Apparently, he had mm-hmm. he he had, he had got a bootleg recording of the uh, the congressional hearing here, and the, okay. here's the statement from from uh, from Anthony Fauci. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, esteemed members of Congress, I must confess, uh, the six feet social distancing rule. Well, it it, it sort of just poof appeared out of thin air, like a magician pulling a rabbit out of a hat, but instead of a rabbit, it was a social distancing guideline. (laughs) No scientific hocus pocus, no data-driven abracadabra, just good old fashioned guesswork. We thought, why not six feet? It's not too close, not too far, just enough space to do a little jig without bumping into each other. Oh, well, there you go. That's convenient. Uh, And of course, uh, based on that, everybody will run and flock back to distancing and masking and, and vaccinations. Thank you, Fauci. Mr. Science. Or is it Dr. Yeah. Science? Uh, a friend of a friend, huh? Got that. That's interesting. Hey, man, I know somebody people. Somebody. I know people. Fascinating, dude. Well, speaking of language, shall we speak language? Quantum language, maybe? Yes. Are you up for that? Why not? Y'all check it out in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. Today, the 11th of January, I believe that's right, 2024, we have a brand new guest to bring to you. And she's got a website, dannykatz.com, D-A-N-I-K-A-T-Z.com. Also, uh, a book 
as well. And there's something called Word Up with Danny Katz. You can plug into the RSS feed. The book is called The Language of Betterarchy, A Blueprint for Uniting Against Tyranny. I like her already. Let's bring Danny Katz to the Robert Scadbell Show. Welcome, Danny. Hi, Robert. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's great to have you on. And I don't know if you have anything you want to share about what we've shared thus far, please chime in or we can, of course, dive into your area of expertise and your passion and knowledge base, which sounds really cool. Um, I mean, I don't think I have anything to say about scumbag Fauci that hasn't been said before. But uh, for anyone who's, you know, interested in his misdeeds, check into PEPFAR, the money laundering operation he set up for the U.S. government. Nice. Well, that is a good addition and right along the lines with what we like to reveal here on the show. So uh, you're slaying it already. So. <laughs> This book, The Language of Betterarchy, A Blueprint for Uniting Against Tyranny, you know, my journey into broadcast medium was brought about by years of trying to communicate something that I didn't know growing up. That was about natural medicine and homeopathy. I was raised pharmaceutically and medically. I was sick because of it. And when I learned about the way out and I got better and I got stronger, I was like, I got to tell everybody, you know, you become a little bit of a zealot. Uh, I had to learn to tone that down because not everybody's ready. But at the same time, there are ways we can communicate with efficiency to have our words actually land and have an impact. And I'm not here to beat people over the head with what I want them to believe, but to communicate in a way where at least it resonates and they can consider it. And I think where I sense that might be some of what you're teaching. It's definitely a piece of it. So my work focuses on the energetic frequencies encoded in every word and how those frequencies are functioning to program us as individuals as well as our collective reality construct. In terms of what you are speaking about specifically, speaking in a way that our ideas can can be absorbed and digested and integrated, one of the aspects of my work um, I call the uh, linguistic gunas. If you're familiar with Ayurveda, the gunas, mm-hmm. um, so every word that we speak is vibrating, vibrating at a frequency that either expands, contracts, or sustains neutrality. So one of the more basic things I teach is how to speak in expansive languaging so that we can open up our audiences so that they will more easily absorb our ideas, our words, our brilliant perspectives. Well, and I think that's an important part of nonviolent shift or changing in terms of impacting consciousness. We have been given a voice, most of us, uh, and, you know, maybe not everybody's skilled as an orator in some way. I mean, not everybody can open up the microphone and just kind of blabber on for and mean, mean something that makes any sense. But at the same time, that voice, as you point out, has resonance. It creates images for those that, you know, hear things and things visually can pop up for some people as well. But I think it's the language, as you acknowledge, of frequency, of energy. And recognizing that, uh, maybe there's the, the uh, part of this is intention, right? Because we can use words that I know will automatically cause somebody to kind of shut down I can use other words that'll open people up and I try to maintain that kind of openness. I don't want to shut people down. Even if they disagree with me, I like them to consider it as I would want to be considerate of them. If they want to communicate, you know, I would, I would call it heart to heart as well. Uh, but again, these are the, 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 the things that I don't think are taught much, if at all growing up much less in various levels of education. Not only are they not taught, but they're deliberately kept from us. Um, I'm one of the most censored content creators I know, and I don't speak about, 
you know, the medical nonsense, the election nonsense. I share tools about language and how to empower ourselves. And that seems to really frighten the social engineers. Mm -hmm. So intention is a big part of it. And it's also understanding the frequencies encoded in language and how they're operating. The subconscious mind is responsible for 95% of our experience of reality. And language is the primary means of programming the subconscious mind. So it's helpful for us to understand how language functions, not just as a communication tool, but also as a reality creation tool. I heard you mention nonviolent communication. Of course, I love Marshall Rosenberg um, and recommend his work to everyone. And still, by saying nonviolent communication, I'm still invoking and activating the frequencies of violence. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, painting a pink elephant on a wall, putting a circle slash through it and thinking I'm not implanting the image of an elephant into everyone's eyes and minds. Um, so, you know, for Marshall, who did such great work in terms of moving us forward in our communication, I would recommend an edit and just calling it peaceful communication so that right. we're invoking the frequencies of peace and expanding those frequencies on our planet. Danny, there was a, a reference to that concept that I learned about as a lifeguard, uh, you know, in my younger years on at a pool. It was the lifeguards that would continually tell the children and the kids, don't run, don't run. It, it was, they hear run as opposed to walk, walk. They hear walk and they walk. And so that concept can be applied in, in a lot of ways. And it's such a simple one that we often overlook. Mike, like you said, nonviolent communication versus peaceful communication. Exactly. And I speak about this a lot in terms of people in our collective conversation, you know, guiding the health freedom movement, wherein we will be inadvertently using the language of our would-be oppressors. So like I never identify as an anti-vaxxer. I'm simply pro-life, pro-freedom. When we when we absorb and utilize their language, we're legitimizing their constructs and we're normalizing vaccination as the baseline and making the anti-vax like the weirdo way of doing it and i'm anti is only empowering and exacerbating whatever follows it be it aging be it cavities be it poverty be it racism um so you know just attuning to these subtleties so that we can sure. take responsibility for our world and our part in co-creating our world and empower ourselves to actively change our world with our every word Danny, you know, what's interesting about that term anti-vaxxer, the combination, is that it used to sting and people would try to, I'm not that, you know, they would go out of their way, even as they had questions about safety and efficacy issues, they were like, oh, I, and then the sting went away uh, to a large degree. It doesn't carry that same, uh, I don't know, impact. Now, that's not just to take away our discussion and acknowledgement of using language differently, but it's fascinating to me how something can vibrate or resonate in a certain way and then maybe overuse and abuse of it, it loses its power. Possibly. I mean, we see people like RFK doubling down on, I'm not an anti-vaxxer while he's doing whatever it, it is that he's doing. And yes, they can lose their sting. Like I used to be, um, have this kind of knee-jerk reaction to the overuse of exclamation points, right? But now that I've acclimated to texting culture, I realize they're actually really helpful in terms of that means of communication. So I myself needed to soften, take the charge out of the exclamation point to avail myself to this is the way that culture is going. 
Mm. Now, did you always always have as a kid growing up this knack for understanding the the frequency of language, or was this something that happened to you along the way that woke you up to a whole other reality in terms of communication and words? It happened to me along the way. So I was always a word nerd. I was always a writer. Um, I was, you know, I've been a journalist for most of my career until journalism ceased to exist. But I was writing for the LA Weekly and a bunch of other magazines, and I was on very tight deadlines. This was around 2007. I was in a deeply shamanic phase, doing a lot of plant medicine. Um, I went to bed healthy one night. I woke up paralyzed. Um, the left side of my body was totally paralyzed. I had five compressed discs in my upper cervical spine. So I spent about a month on the couch and I was just going back and forth to my bookshelf. And I found this book called Hidden Language Codes by R. Neville Johnson. I'd never seen it. I had no idea where it came from. And he was shot point blank in the chest and died for a few minutes. While he was dead, he downloaded these languaging codes. And after I read the book, I started to see the languaging codes, which was frustrating at the time because I was, I was writing on these tight deadlines and the words were inviting me into a different conversation. I was like, guys, I don't have time for whatever 5D nonsense you're trying to tell me. And, you know, after you know, an extended period of time of trying to silence them, I realized that I was being invited into a much more expansive paradigm. And that's kind of how it happened. Wow. Well, it's a cool journey. I always like the backstory of how you got here. And then, of course, you've taken it to other levels with your communication. I, I, we have your website, Danny Katz, D-A-N-I-K-A-T-Z.com. And it looks like you have a lot of different things, books and various services, talking about the words as well, uh, backstories. And then this uh, Word Up feed, Word Up with Danny Katz. Is that your uh, what we call a podcast show or what would what would people be plugging yes, into? That's what we call a podcast show. And um, after getting, you know, peak, peak frustrated over the insane amounts of censorship, shadow banning, having accounts deleted, I realized that there was the most freedom left in the podcast realm. So I started my podcast, Word Up with Danny Katz, which features, of course, languaging hacks, explorations of propaganda analysis, cultural criticism, and solutions-based conversations with visionaries and rebel badasses. I'm looking at some of the topics and, and guests you've covered. I, I mean, they're great. Like one of them just jumped out, Anarchy, Energetic Aikido. Red shifting with Guru Singh. I mean, that's that dude, I'm in. Like, sign me up. That's really cool because I see utilizing language in the way you're describing it is is almost a martial art in that it comes in in a certain way and you can transform it and bring it back out in a completely different way that does no harm to you, but could transform others that are using language in a way that was meant to be destructive in some way. Absolutely. My new book, The Language of Betterarchy in This Paradigm, is a tool for us to have the tough conversations, to be able to utilize these tools to talk about anything, regardless of our mind control, our ideological allegiances, and still maintain our emotional center, respect for other people, to move us past this engineered divide um, that has been foisted upon us as an attempt to manipulate control and enslave. Well, how, how do you take back your powers of what I call co-creation as opposed to being manipulated and uh, the effect of everybody else's ability to co-create and you're included in that because you're not engaging consciously. As you point out, much of it is oh, what we do is subconscious uh, or even unconscious. And uh, if you talk about quantum languaging, again, this is a a realm that some people, it's I don't know if it's overwhelming to some, but I think it's intriguing 
the word quantum, you add, and Super Don mentioned this, my producer said, if you put quantum in, in front of something, suddenly it becomes really interesting. And I want to know more. Well, um, you know, I, I don't know if you're into astrology, but I have Mercury and Capricorn in, in the 10th house, which makes me really exacting with my language. Um, and so the reason why I called this paradigm quantum languaging is because it's it's appropriate. We're examining how language is functioning on multiple dimensional levels from the smallest to the like macro meta. And once we're resourced with this knowledge, then we can use language in a completely different way to consciously craft our lives the way that we want them to be and to consciously craft our world. You know, these, these powers that were, these people who are in these positions of quote unquote leadership have no more rights to steer our earthship than any of the rest of us. And I feel like it's been through generations of indoctrination that we've kind of given up our own agency, given yeah. up our own empowerment and think that it's these people in charge who have more right to decide the direction that culture is going than we do. And that's absolutely false. You know, it frustrates me when I hear these people, these pundits or podcasters, shills, controlled op, whatever we want to call them, saying, well, we don't have a choice. You know, everything's going towards automation. It's already going this way. And it's like, no, we absolutely have a choice. We can engage our critical thinking at any moment, bring in the feminine perspective that questions, well, just because we can do this, is this in our best interest? Is this going to take humanity to a place that's going to serve the well-being of the greatest good? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is no, which it clearly is, we can choose to slow our role, but they use language to attempt to convince us that we have no power, that we have no agency. So mm -hmm. the entirety of my work is to dispel that fiction and to inspire people to get off their knees, to claim their power, to claim their agency, and to get in the game to consciously create and steer our earthship onto saner, more sustainable ground immediately. Yeah, well, the language of, of victimization has been institutionalized for great purpose. And I don't mean good purpose. I mean great purpose, which can be nefarious. And that is to uh, limit the obstacles or eliminate the obstacles to, you know, globalist domination, enslavement of humanity, et cetera, to thoughts or, or physical enslavement, et cetera, through fear of germs, for instance. And, you know, that's been a big part of my journey, learning that germs aren't the cause of disease. And what does that mean? You know, how do you then co-create a reality? A lot of the things I, I love because I'm a science guy too, a little bit of a nerd, uh, enjoying meeting in this lifetime, uh, Bruce Lipton, cellular biologist, and finding language that, you know, completely obliterated the victim consciousness within genetic determinism and, and recognized that our beliefs alter gene expression even, you know, going right down to the brass tacks of the physical realities too. And so it's a fascinating journey here that you're bringing the language out to, I guess, a broader community, not just as I say in the realm of health freedom alone, but I, it sounds like you're very supportive and, and acknowledge what we're dealing with here, but also helping people break free from a victim state of consciousness where the obstacles are so overwhelming that you, as you're, you're on your knees begging, please give me a scrap of whatever, a little bit of freedom, I'll take it and pretend it's freedom. And, and this is what um, there are people perhaps in this audience that feel it's, it's just too daunting. It's just too big. I support it, but I really, I don't think it's possible. And the thing is when you have a belief system like that, doesn't that become your reality? 
A thousand percent. You know, in my book, um, the victimhood chapter is the longest chapter. And I explain, like, because I see this as one of the greatest shams being pulled on humanity, it's really important that we unpack it and undo it. Because if we weren't under, you know, the delusion that we had no power, um, then none of this would be happening. We would all exercise that power and change the game. Um, when we go to root causes, I think one of the primary reasons why we, you know, people like you and me are inspiring people out of this mess is the misunderstanding of authority. We have been indoctrinated to believe that authority is an agency or entity that exists outside of us to tell us what to do. But when we look to the etymology, authority doctor, which means founder, builder, or one who causes to grow. But I mean, you know, at its base level, you can't spell authority without author, which means our God-given right to write our stories however we please. So I think the biggest thing that's going to get us out of this is people reclaiming their authority, self-sourcing from the inside instead of reaching outside, and we decide how we want culture to go, how we want to change society. And we get together and unwaveringly live and speak into that reality. Do you, in addition to doing your podcast and appearing on shows like this, uh, do you do public speaking engagements? Do you have any events people can attend in person as well? Um, I, I do do public speaking. I love doing public speaking. I actually, the last event I did was with a mutual friend of ours, Doug Fletcher, in um, Arizona. Love and, that, yeah. I, you know, I welcome any and all invitations to speak. It's one of my favorite things. Well, I, I've certainly am so appreciative of what you're doing and who you are and your, your very being. I think it's resonating here uh, in a way that perhaps gives us some more tools in our toolkit to navigate this and, you know, not be as easily deceived or even thrown off course by the way others are using language, perhaps unconsciously, for those that are the unwitting participants versus those who are at some level trying to steer a ship towards what? Various forms of tyranny under the guise of making us believe that it's the best for us. It's the best we can hope for and just kind of go along the concepts of you will own nothing and, and like it, right? These ideas that are very disempowering and disconnecting from the source of your, the authorship. I like that. I love authority and bringing that back into the, the mix. I love these word origins, the roots, what they mean. So I, I'm just like I said, I'm, I'm geeking out a little bit with you here. Awesome. I love that. Thank you. And, um, you know, I want to go back to what you were saying about people feeling like it's so overwhelming, all the shifts that need to be made. And so, you know, they'll tap out and just, you know, get stoned, watch Netflix, whatever, because there's like, how are we going to change so many things? And that's why my focus is on language, because language is the meta programming construct from which all of these problematic structures have been born. So I liken it to if you have a rash on your arm that's being caused with a food allergy and you put on some topical antibiotic but continue eating the food that created the allergy, you're going to have the same problem. So if we try to tackle these problems system by system by system with an outdated language, all of the proposed solutions will still be infected with the same issues because they're being created with a hierarchical language that is itself coded with division, fear, conflict, lack, limitation, et cetera, et cetera. So it seems like the simplest thing is like, let's just adjust the meta structure mm. that is programming everything 
and start speaking a language that is encoded with the frequencies of peace, unity, abundance, sustainability, empowerment, equality. And then whatever emerges from that language will be reflective of those qualities because that's how this realm works. Yeah. Well, the control of language, uh, of course, uh, uh, limits consciousness, limits the shifts that maybe you desire, that you feel like you're on the precipice of. And then those that control your ability to use the language, this is why uh, censorship and deplatforming has been the tool of these radicals, these scoundrels. Uh, and I don't mean radicals are not necessarily bad. They can be very good. But in this case, um, you know, censorship has never been the tool of, of people who believe in freedom. Uh, there's an article here, it's breaking news, and I think they're covering it on the high wire right now, but a federal judge has ordered the CDC to release all the, what they call the V-safe free text entries in a, it's a use win for vaccine safety transparency. Now, what happened here is that the CDC censored certain data that was being submitted to them about uh, safety uh, uh, responses. Of course, we know that these COVID injections were not safe, but they eliminated the commentary, that is, that which people could add to whatever responses they were submitting, just in a free form, 250 words, they can relate what they wanted to relate. And I believe they were so afraid of what was being submitted that they wanted to censor this desperately so that the word wouldn't get out and people would not know that this is dangerous and they would continue to operate under the fear mongering and go ahead and get the shot. Cause you know, what if they had heard hundreds, if not thousands or tens of thousands of people wrote, my gosh, this is what happened to me. And now they've pushed uh, through the courts to get them to release it. Now, this is after the fact, unfortunately, many people have been harmed at this point, but it shows the intent of, for lack of a better term, what I call the bad guys are the guys that are trying to censor information, the free flow of information, so we can make fully informed decisions or choices. Yes. I mean, it's I've been involved in the vaccine conversation for quite a while. Neil Z. Miller has been a friend of mine for many years. And I worked with Mickey Willis on a campaign for um for RFK back before the COVID nonsense, but when they were trying to pass, I think it was called SB 276 in California, um, removing the rights of doctors to offer medical exemptions. So yeah, it's been frustrating to watch. Unfortunately, the way that the subconscious mind works is that once the original idea has been implanted, to get the mind to make a change, to make a pivot after the fact is, a million times harder than just inserting the honest information from the get-go. So while, you know, I'm happy to hear this is happening, you know, in the same way that we've seen all of these articles about the uselessness of the face muzzles or the six feet, we still see people doubling down because they, they're not able to change their minds at this stage of the game. Yeah, I guess the benefit now is for those that uh, haven't been lost to this, to realize that there were messages being given by those that preceded us by many generations to not trust authoritarians, wrongly called authority, as you point out, the origin is quite different than how we perceive it today. Uh, and that maybe going forward, they'll be less likely to fall prey to the fear mongering, which they pointed out in the, you know, before we brought you in today, uh, was the method clearly that they're telegraphing. They're going to have to go more fear mongering in order to get people in line. Yeah, I mean, one of the, so in my book, The Language of Betterarchy, I pinpoint the 10 markers of hierarchical languaging so that we can start to clue into the coding. And fear is one of those markers, right? Because when we're in a fear state, the body releases 
fear hormones, cortisol, we go into fight or flight, um, the neurological capabilities are suppressed, we're not thinking clearly, clearly, the options available to us become really narrow. So then we start to see that fear is a tool of these social engineers, and we're able to reflect, oh, I'm in a fear state right now, let me put down whatever I'm reading, whatever I'm watching, find a way to regulate and come to center. And it also speaks to the fact that they have no power and have no legs to stand on, given that the only tools they have to rely on are censorship, coercion, fear, lies, which is, you know, another one of my main messages is for us to realize how much power we really do have and for us to exercise that power and not drop the ball just to get along, just to, you know, not ruffle any feathers. Like this is a time for feather ruffling. Like they've gained a lot of territory. Um, so now is the time to like kind of let go of the desire to be polite, to be, a, you know, to please others and to speak our truth loud and clear so that this doesn't go any further than it's gone. Yeah, well, exactly. I'm with you on that. And uh, I think of the opportunities we have to communicate, you know, whether it be through podcast as well, but I also really believe the the magic that happens when we get together in you know in physical presence of one another and this is also another aspect of the desperation i see of those that wanted to maintain a stranglehold on power false authority because one of the biggest messages was stay at home hide don't get together keep children apart it's all of that which is a, a real fundamental and i dare say evil foundation for uh, disconnect from our source, even though we can connect to our source, God, at any point, even when we're alone, maybe sometimes easier that way, but the connection to each other, which are all creator created by the same entity or God. And so uh, I look at the opportunity to get together. I don't know, since you know, Doug, if you've ever spoken at the the, the Giving Tree, that organic restaurant yes. in, yes, in Phoenix. Right. I mean, that's a wonderful place where people are coming together and sharing. and they've got Guy David, who's the chef there and owner, what a wonderful man, a heart-centered man who really is so, you can see gushing with gratitude for the opportunity he's been given or he's taken and co-created to create a great space like that. So I'm encouraging all of y'all, not just as I talked to Danny for the first time that I'm remembering, <laughs> to get together with one another, to find opportunities to leave that comfort zone of your safe home and get out, find an event, and go there. It could be a Friday evening event locally with a community thing, and just connect with people, impact, communicate, listen. Even the power of listening is part of communication, which is not taught, as you point out, all the things that are not taught purposefully. And the fact that you're teaching these things has resulted in your deplatforming and censorship. Uh, because even if you don't talk about some of the controversies we do take on head on, the fact that they look at you as a threat means, yes, the language skills that you're teaching in the quantum realm are threatening to the authoritarians. Absolutely. And, you know, as much as I, I, I agree with everything you're saying, I don't think people, we don't need big audiences to have an impact. There's still our immediate community. You know, a simple conversation with someone in line at the post office can not only wake them up, but wake up everyone around us. You know, when we look to Yuri Bezmenov and what he was warning us about in the 80s with the four stages of ideological subversion, normalization is the last stage. So anytime that we speak out against an attempt to normalize the six feet, the masking, the injections, the AI stuff, 
the self-checkout. Every time we speak out and say, no, I'm not okay with this, we're modeling that for everyone around us. And that really can have a ripple effect. So you don't need a podcast and you don't even need a stage. You just need to engage the people in our immediate community and empower them and model for them um, sanity. (laughs) You become a living example for that which you believe rather than just a belief that's outside of you, it becomes you. You become, again, that living example. And then really, it strengthens people around you. Yes, there may be some unusual stares or squirrely-eyed looks when you first do it because people are so out of practice. But if you can find a way to use humor, that's, uh, a, you know, you know, talk about breaking through barriers. We don't have enough funny going on. A thousand percent. I believe in humor. I believe in absurdity, like anything to just snap people out of the kind of unconscious status quo. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely humor and being silly about it. And also to not, um, I think the key right now is like, I'm healing the the fragmentation of my community because I was so outcast. You know, I was the lead writer on Plandemic 2 Indoctrination. I never covered my face when that was mandated here in New Mexico. So there was a lot of kind of being outcast in my community. And now my task is just to be kind and loving to everyone to help dispel their stereotypes, their bigotry around what that means. And when they have one-on-one interactions with me, it, it obliterates all of the nonsense that has been shoved into their heads through propaganda because it doesn't stand up to the lived experience. So even when we're talking to people, you know, who have different ideas, be loving, be curious, you know, it's not to go after them and attack them for being wrong. It's just to be open and loving and, oh, what makes you think that, you know, and maybe drop a little question in here and there um, just to help heal this ridiculous fake divide. Oh, it's beautiful. I I, I kind of sensed that we would be going here today and you haven't disappointed, not even a little bit, Danny. Um, you're doing such extraordinary work and it's so exciting to have you on board and uh, to communicate these concepts, I think, in a way that they'll land. And also the book you have, I would encourage people to pick it up and read it, learn about it, because it sounds like people can put this into practice. It isn't just somebody with a certain kind of education or background that can, I mean, this is something that's open for everybody. And I think we could do a lot of good if we would help our kids, our young people to learn some of these language skills or all of them if we can. Absolutely. And that was, you know, I really went the distance to make all of the tools in this book super simple, super accessible, and as well available to people regardless of ideology, political affiliation, whatnot. Um, There are also lots of fun illustrations in the book that make it, you know, more appealing to kids. But yeah, this is a tool that we can all start using immediately and start this healing and transformation of our culture now. Danny Katz, the book is The Language of Betterarchy, a blueprint for uniting against tyranny. It's available now. We have it linked up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. Also, dannykatz.com and your Word Up podcast we also have linked up. I hope uh, we can stay connected. Uh, If you ever need to stop back by or whatever, I I love and appreciate what you're doing, and uh, you're welcome here anytime. Oh, thank you so much, Robert. I appreciate that. It's been an honor to get to dive in with you. Awesome. Danny Katz on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Probably not the only time. I'm pretty certain of that. First time, though, it's it's been great. Uh, In in addition to the uh, 
the challenge we have just to communicate clearly, which our discussion we just had was even more than clarity. Uh, it was the energy, the frequency in all of these things that go, some would say esoteric, but uh, I wish it weren't considered esoteric if that would be off-putting for some, because it's the essence of who we really are as spiritual beings having human experiences in physical bodies. That's part of it. The human body is part of how we communicate in this realm while we are here. That's why I'm invested in keeping it strong and healthy and helping others to do the same because I think each and every one of us has a, a mission and a purpose, maybe multiple missions and multiple purposes at this point. And I'm not here to define it for you, but I certainly would like you to feel the best you can be or the best you can feel so that you can achieve that which you're here to achieve. And that might be different tomorrow than it is today. But when you're connected and, you know, the energy is flowing through you freely because you're not debilitated the way I was in my young life with all these ailments and illnesses, I really perceive that we're all better off for that. And some would say, well, what about someone who wants to do bad things with their mission? Uh, I, I feel like the, 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 the more you're connected to the source of your very creation, the more you're going to be directed to do things that are uplifting. I may be considered naive in saying so, but I don't, I don't believe that's the case. But it's part of our journey. It's part of the experience. It's part of the agency or choices that we are given to screw up royally and do horrible things on the hopes that one day we'll figure it out. If not this lifetime, then the next or the next or the next, however you perceive that to be. So it's so much fun to uh, uh, ha journey along in these uh, in these uh, times or at any time that we're still here and meet new folks that are doing great work, including Super Don, who doesn't know where he is some days, like me. We get so busy, and here we are showing up for work, and he's got his, is that your, one of your rock and roll, is that the 90s rock and roll shirt? It is, yeah. I hadn't seen, have I seen that one Slipknot right no. up front? Yeah, I wasn't f familiar with the 90s bands because I kind of lost it after the 80s. I just don't know. You know, I'm... when I was growing up, I, uh, yeah, I was stuck on like 50s, you know, rock and roll and then mm -hmm. classic rock I listened to all the time and all that kind of stuff like that. Yeah. And then I got into the hair bands <laughs> and then um, uh, it was in the 2000s uh, era, which is what this shirt uh, has mo mostly of. Gotcha. Uh, that, that I really got into that. That's when I that's when I found out about the uh, a lot of these these bands. Although the, you know you can tell that these these shirts, even though they're cool, they're made in yeah. China, ah. because sometimes they don't get it. Because there's no in no uh, list anywhere. Yeah, would you have Slipknot? Yeah, and Iron Maiden in the same uh, on the same page. It's just they they don't go together, but they for whatever. I didn't reason. think of Iron Maiden as a two thousands band. Either. No, Iron Maiden's yeah. like. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 uh, that was right. when well, I was they in, tried. in, in they junior tried. high. Anyway, the shirt school. looks cool regardless. Yeah. Uh, also, talk about language communication on homeopathy and the Latin that most people don't learn. Let's dive into a Latin named remedy right now with our homeopathic hit. Playing all of the homeopathic hits every day, right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Uh, t t today's homeopathic hit, I would, you know, I don't know if there's a Latin name, Obscurum Muriaticum. I just made that up, but it's, it's a less utilized remedy. In fact, <laughs> it was bound to happen that we'd come across a remedy that I hadn't used. And there are hundreds, if not thousands of remedies at your disposal. And homeopaths know this. You tend to use more common ones more commonly. And, and occasionally you'll find obscure ones that'll fit a picture that, you know, it's not used that widely. So today, Zizia, Z-I-Z-I-A, is the homeopathic 
Nutritional Frontiers, thank you. Folium PX, thank you. Trinity School of Natural Health, thank you for supporting us so we can bring these homeopathic kits to you. And you'll see it's another botanical ingredient. Look at that fun picture Super Don made uh, of the Zizia plant. And as we go into the PDF, which is free for download at robertscottbell.com. And by the way, I just got a sneak peek of the evolution of the Robert Scott Bell Show website. Oh I did too. God. Yeah, great. It needs some tweaking, but well, yeah, of course. But no, I'm very encouraged about where things are very going. Cool. Yes. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, that's kind of exciting. So uh, here we are doing Zizia, and that's the remedy for some respiratory ailments, manic depression, even, and leucorrhea. I mentioned this for female specific issues because it's one of those remedies that I haven't utilized a lot, and it's got a lot, just like anything. How do you pick which one or two or three things out of this remedy to highlight or spotlight? So I'll just throw these out there for your consideration. You can dig deeper. Um, these homeopathic hits are not all encompassing or all comprehensive, but just, you know, introductions. Zizia, lesser known, but effective remedy used for sometimes respiratory ailments, sinus issues, even joint pain, back pain. And so we're going to hit some of those, uh, some of those highlights for you. Now, the origin of Zizia, uh, is it's the Zizia aurea plant, also known as golden Alexander, a perennial herb native to North America. So some of you are herbalists, you might know about it, but you know, many homeopaths might not have used it. And it's, uh, of course, diluted, succussed into a homeopathic form for safe treatment of sometimes respiratory sinus issues, sometimes joint discomfort, sometimes more. So we'll go into a few of the key characteristics, including uh, respiratory nasal issues, even bronchitis or asthma, where there's difficult expectorating. You love that word, expectoration? How does that make you feel? Do you expectorate regularly? That's like, get it out, right? And if you're having difficulty, Zizia might be a remedy for you. It's also indicated in cases of back or joint pain, particularly when there's stiffness or discomfort there, and sometimes female-specific symptoms indicated, like leucorrhea. So these are wide and diverse, and they're not always seemingly connected, but that's the nature of the wide variety of, of symptoms that uh, these remedies can hit. Mentally, there may be general state of restlessness or discomfort, or even manic manifestations, somewhat considered bipolar, if that's real or not, but the idea you could be, oh, extra extraordinarily happy, and then suddenly sad. So that's another indication in a mental state scenario, uh, and that's where you go into the highs and the lows, the manic, the depression, as one of the options for Zizia. Respiratory ailments, particularly effective for sinus, bronchitis, asthma, other respiratory issues with difficult expectoration, I mentioned. Some use in joint pain, stiffness, when the symptoms are persistent or chronic, and general discomfort, you know, if you're having malaise related to respiratory or joint issues. So, again, it's an interesting remedy I haven't had much use for, but maybe now I will even look at that and go, hmm, I wonder. So, potencies, I tend to defer first and foremost to what we call the lower potencies, 6X, 12X, 12C, 30C, for acute uh, issues, repetitive use if you need to until you get relief. And you can always go to higher potencies, but if you go to extraordinary deep-seated kind of issues, I'd encourage you to consult with a homeopath if you can find one. And uh, other complementary remedies to consider, Bryonia alba, one of my favorites, as you know, can be used for joint pain that worsens with movement. Uh, Antimonium tartaricum, we've talked about that for lung issues, respiratory issues with difficulty of expectorating. It complements Zizia's action. Calibicromicum, uh, Calibi is also for sinuses, if you have a sinus congestion issue. And I threw in there for the lady, semisifuga racemosa, sometimes known as actia racemosa. And that's also female-specific, often menstrual difficulties, even leucorrhea could be indicated. So while Azizia is, of course, safe in its homeopathic form, uh, if you're dealing with a real serious issue, you might want to consult uh, with someone that can help you, a homeopath preferably. And if symptoms worsen or persist, uh, 
you know, again, there are times where it's okay to reach out and it might be needed to reach out to a healthcare provider of some kind. And as I said, choose carefully because many of the doctors out there of the allopathic variety, unfortunately, are, uh, they try to poison you back to health. That's not what we do in homeopathy. So as we wrap this segment up, ZZ, a valuable homeopathic remedy, particularly effective for treating various mental ups and downs, sinus issues, respiratory ailments, some joint pain, even some female issues. And uh, just keep plugging into the Robert Scott Bell Show and share the good news. The power to heal is yours. I'm just here to remind you of that. And remember, Again, thanks to those sponsors that make this and many of the other messages that we have here, including these homeopathic hits possible, like Trinity School of Natural Health, trinityschool.org, Nutritional Frontiers, nutritionalfrontiers.com, foliumpx, foliumpx.com, and many of the other things you can click on banners at robertscottbell.com. Thank you all for being here. we got a bonus round coming up next. If you've got questions or comments, drop them in. It's free form from here on out. Today, the power to heal is still yours. I do like that beekeeper theme in that interlude there. That was nice. And speaking of bees, Super Don, pop quiz. What's the uh, homeopathic remedy made from the venom of the honeybee? Abzium. Here, I'm going to give you a hint. What do they call uh, like a place where they, you know, grow bees? Do they call it an apiary? Yeah. So what would now be your clue for the homeopathic remedy made from the venom of the honeybee? Like I know it's, it's somewhere up here. Apiary. A- A- Apis. Yeah, I knew yeah, you could nail that. Nicely yeah. done. I challenged you not to embarrass you because I know that you could That wasn't reach much for of it. a challenge. That was good. Well done. Well done. So anyway, hey, dude, shoot, Danny Katz was great. Did you enjoy that? That was something that? else, huh? She was terrific. And I can uh, see why she has a podcast. Yeah. She's very good at communicating and she's That's... on board with all this stuff. And she's got a unique way to uh teach about quantum languaging, I think that I think we could all benefit from. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Kevin mm-hmm. for booking these guests on topics and things that, that never in a million years before if see before Kevin, that would be BK, right? Mm-hmm. In, uh, in BK. Yeah. Uh, we would probably never in a million years. Would we have had somebody like that on the show. We wouldn't have found him. I mean, we we just he don't created have a, time a whole a whole new thing, mm-hmm. and uh, just going back on what you were teasing before we went to the break, talking about a whole new thing. I I'm like thoroughly impressed with uh, the work that um, our web new web designer guy mm-hmm. has done in preparing for the new launch of the robertscottbell.com website. Mm-hmm. It looks really cool. Yeah. And and you can actually you can go through and you can look at the different pages and stuff. The one that got me is if you go to the new watch listen page. Yeah. Have you seen that? No, I'm gonna open that now. You guys, there's it's some so cool slick. stuff happening. That looks so much better. And scroll down, look at the uh the where the the things are and stuff. It's like yeah, yeah, really cool. Very clean. So we'll be working with with uh Gige, uh on, on getting that thing fine-tuned, but that's going to be really cool. Yeah, dude, it's uh, <clears throat> amazing after all these years and made possible by all y'all, not only just for sharing the show, but for supporting our sponsors and the, the things that uh, the banners and different things, the emails we send, and also for those of you very directly supportive of us by becoming patron supporters of the Robert Scott Bell Show, thank, thank you. Thank God for you because uh, we couldn't be doing a lot of these things that are going to make it even better in this 2024 year in the midst of the good things that are occurring. I know a lot of people want to focus on the bad and the negative. That's 
never my intent to do so, even as we acknowledge things that might kind of suck. <laughs> uh, the reality is we can maneuver our way out and around and through and beyond it uh, with the uh, powers of co-creation that were given by that which created us all, God or whatever you call God. Uh, so that's a, a big part of this as well. So I'm not going to take the defeatist, you can't do anything, everything sucks. I know occasionally Super Don and my wife will say, people suck. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> we have the choice to be really rotten if we want. Yeah. But it doesn't mean all of us are that way. Uh, a lot of us are not. But recognize that because you're not doesn't mean everybody is not. And that therefore we have to be diligent and, and protect. Well, when I when I make that statement, it's mm -hmm. it's kind of a, a blanket, but mm -hmm. it does not necessarily include everybody in the human race. <laughs> um, Hope not. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'll tell you, I, uh, I, I'm still kind of stuck and I will be for a while on this whole plastics thing. I, mm -hmm. I went, I did my, my, my thing yesterday on the show yeah. about that. Did you see what I, I dropped in Skype for you today? It's just, uh, you know, it's just, it's funny that when you see something like that yeah, and like it, it, it's funny, I think what I talked to you off the air yesterday before the show mm -hmm. and I said to me, as I was looking at this and things were like connecting the dots and making stuff like that, I felt like I was like uh Brian artist. Yeah. Um, having the aha moment about a snake venom. Was it because the cancer, the cancer thing you sent me? The cancer thing. Yeah. yeah. Where if you look at that and mm -hmm. I'll just, I want to make a big deal out of it. But if you look at, it, there's a story that was in the wall street journal about how cancer is striking more young people and the doctors are alarmed and baffled. Yeah. And I saw that and it just reminded me of, you know, what I was saying yesterday about how stuff like this happens. The doctor's just like, well, you know, I, I don't know. Could be less physical activity, could be more ultra processed foods, could be yeah. new toxins, yada, yada. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's probably, a, you know, a combination of things. But mm -hmm. it, it, if, if you look at the, the chart that the Wall Street Journal has, it, it shows starting back in 1975, and it shows it going over the years, and it shows the spike of cancer. Uh, and they say one of the the most common ones are is gastrointestinal. Mm -hmm. Up to the present day, and there's just this red line that you know it starts down here in in 1975, and it's way up here uh, today. Yeah. And I'm like, hmm. Well, is it just a weird coincidence that it was in the 1970s when they started to use plastic packaging significantly? It was a huge boost. And that's also when they introduced the uh, the the water bottle, the polyethylene phthalate bottle. Yeah, uh, it was in the 1970s. So you know, which is exactly what the new study's talking about is the water bottles with the nanoparticles and stuff that started in the 1970s. Their graph starts in the 1970s, and it shows a huge boost of these cancers to today. Correlation? Yes. Mm. Can we prove it? No. Does logic say? Hmm. Should look at that. Absolutely. Well, add to that increasing use of pesticides, the exposure oh. to glyphosate, the antibiotic oh, use. And you look and say, how is it possible that we all don't have cancer? That's a testament to the resilience, strengths, and weaknesses. Each of us are different in that regard. But right. my first, you know, 18, 19 years, and then 24 until I started homeopathy, were filled with gastrointestinal distress and inflammation. Again, this is the poor Scotty boy stories, right? But right. recognize that the reason I am so passionate about these subjects is because of the suffering I had as a child, as a young person, young adult, to warn others. And uh, Super D, do you think, you know, as you, as you see an article like this, 
uh, that says doctors are alarmed and baffled. It's like, how many times have we seen headlines like this right. mystery explosion of this cases or the cancer in young people? Am I too certain of my perspective? Cause I, I come across like I'm a, I'm a gap. All of us are at, at some point in, in some ways, um, doesn't mean we're bad people. It's just that we, you know, we strongly believe things. It's like right now, man, I'm just like plastic sucks, you know? Um, I'm yeah. sure I, you know, <laughs> But just, I, I, I think in terms of logic, and, the, and you do too, even if I don't have the 100% scientific evidence based on what is their gold standard, right? right? And we go there all the time and realize they are so corrupt that why we give them the authoritarians in medicine any credence, you know, where we give little or no credence to those who study toxicology and nutrition, for instance, versus virologists and infectious disease epidemiologists and all of that, rather right. than, you know, going to the heart of what we claim is the primary culprit or primary culprits in causing inflammation, injury, damage, manifestation, ultimately as cancer in younger and younger people. That's where I say I am comfortable, confident, and, you know, very direct in my belief about the causal link, not just correlation. No. Yeah. But I'm not a peer-reviewed published article. No, I'm it's not like if somebody said, okay, so, prove it. Well, you yeah. can't really, but it just makes sense, you mm -hmm. know? And, and does that mean you're 100% right? No. Does it mean you're wrong? No. So where is it that but, the doctors go wrong that they can't step out of that I'm alarmed and baffled well, and say, you know what? I'm not a doctor, mm -hmm. so it's pure speculation. But if I sit here and I try to think about just human nature mm -hmm. and the psychology of man, um. You know, doctors learn what they learn where in medical school, mm -hmm. right? They memorize and they train and all that stuff, you know, which is hard work. I mean, these doctors go to school for what, eight years, you know, and then you got, you know, years of residency and training, you know, all this stuff like that. They, they, you know, it's a lot, mm -hmm. um, but they know what they know because that's how they're trained. Now, how many doctors out there, this is, you know, legitimate question. I wonder. How many doctors out there that go through medical school and they get all the training stuff like that? How many of them sit down on a regular basis um, to learn new things or things that challenge what it was that they were taught uh, in order to keep up on what's going on? Versus how many doctors just go with what it is that they were taught and you know they just that they collect their paycheck sure. type thing? I don't know. You know, I mean, I mean, we've met some of those doctors that are willing to have an open mind mm -hmm. uh, on this show, yeah. right? And isn't it funny that the ones that are do are allowed to have an open mind uh, are ones that we tend to agree with more mm -hmm. because they don't just put on those those horse blinders you like to talk about, right? right. You know, this this is what it is. This because this is what I was taught. This is what the CDC says and the FDA says. And, and you know, just do it because I told you to. How about your qualifying statement in that little bit you just did? I'm not a doctor. Da, 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 da. Well, why do we give credence to doctors to know things that they don't know? Credence that they know things that they aren't taught. Dude, that's because that's how that's how our parents were brought up. That's how our parents brought us up to be. That you know, the doctor knows all. And don't argue with doctor. You didn't go to medical school. You know, I mean, how many times have you heard that? Right. It's still disappointing. But as we so have many... found out, it, a situations mm -hmm. like with the pandemic that just happened. I mean, come on. That's why so many people feel the way they do, and they have their cha they've changed their opinion stuff. But mm -hmm. if you have had personal experience in the medical system, whether it's yourself personally or somebody that you care about, a loved one or something like that, and you have seen the train wreck mm -hmm. 
that the, that the health care system is and how much they really honestly don't know. Uh, you know, it, unless you've experienced that, then you just say, oh, well, you know, this is, they, they know what they know because they're, they're the doctor. You just listen to the doctor and do what the doctor says. Yeah. When in reality, they just, there's well, really that, a lot that they don't know. Yeah. This is where, you know, that term people suck. I get, I get, for me, it's like, I feel like a dad that's disappointed and I don't know. That's a weird thing, but I'm like, <laughs> ah, really, you don't see it yet. Um, but my experience has been my experience. How I've been able to see through a lot of these lies was through a lot of suffering, a lot of realizing that even yeah. if the doctors meant well, they did not know uh, reality, uh, what was causing my problems. But all they were doing was managing it. That's and, an important point, yeah. okay? Because, you, know, mm-hmm. you know, people need to understand it's not like we we, uh, we on this show uh, mm-hmm. think that doctors are all those red-eyed demons that people take singular, <laughs> see? That's not that's yeah, the singular demon. Yeah, that, that's yeah. not that's not how it is. I yeah. I believe that the vast majority of people, nurses, doctors, you know, even scientists, you know, that they, they they mean well. But there's just something about when they get in there, deep in there, knee deep in, in, in the process and in the system, um they they end up doing things that they didn't mean to do or they wouldn't do under normal circumstances or they're pressured to do or they're just some sometimes they might be just uh unwitting unwitted you know uh uh, participants so you know um well just like the fda is a captured agency your doctor is a captured human in many ways unless they break free of it break through it and start reconnecting to a source of wisdom that's far greater than medical school. This doesn't mean throw everything away, but there's a lot there that they're teaching that has nothing to do with the reality of true prevention, much less getting people back on their feet in a healthy manner. They can certainly do it by suppressing symptoms with medicines as we talk about poisoning people, not back to health, but back to some semblance of an ability to function a little bit or do something that they want to do. But the reality is, as we see the, the rise, as you pointed out in that Wall Street Journal article, it's not in the notes today, but cancer is striking more young people. We'll talk the, about it tomorrow. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that. But, you know, seeing that spike up from the 70s forward, even more so, uh, there's a lot of things that we can correlate with. But as I said, my body is a testament to when I stopped putting those things in my body to the ability that I could without, you know, I can't completely unexpose or not be exposed to things. Everything's an environment. But even that, I was able to, and I'm able to do things genuinely, not by suppression, but by helping the body to deal with the ongoing burden that's out there that's contributing to the rise of cancer in every age group, including the young people. So that's where I come back to, I'm not giving up. You know, there's a lot of people that are defeatist. They'll go, oh, it's just too hard. Yeah, well, life can be hard. (laughs) And we weren't promised easy. In fact, because it's been easy for many of us in America in a lot of ways, we now are at the point where young people are looking to enslave themselves to collectivism or complain about, as we've talked about, being misgendered. It's like, really, if you are hungry and don't know where you're going to eat, do you care? Really? Is that a, a <laughs> concern? That's you know yeah. a matter of life or death or anything even remotely close to actually True. important? True. Yeah. The luxury we have to have those things upset us tells us we have had it very easy. Uh, and of course, the suppression of, of symptoms has made it the perception that it's, oh, it's easy. I don't have to change my diet or lifestyle at all. All I need is the pill that they're going to prescribe to me. If I can just have affordable insurance, 
which I call the dangerous thing, you know, in America, really good medical insurance to get you all the poisons and, and interventions that not are designed to actually heal you, but suppress what's, what's ailing you and ign ignore true cause under the pretense that we don't know cause because the doctors are baffled and alarmed. Uh, interesting there. It's unfortunate because in the, the, the interface that we use here to broadcast the show, when people make comments and they put links, we don't have the ability to click on the links. If we try and click on the link, it puts it up on the screen like this here, but mm -hmm. interesting here. Thank you, Steven. You know, I you can always count on Steven. Yeah, that's a good Steven one. and Chris. I mean, between the two of those guys, you know, it's like a, an encyclopedia of, of information, but let me put that back up there so you can see Steven, uh, dropped this link in there, you know, which goes right with what it is that I was just talking about. I'm going to go mm -hmm. into Facebook and find that link yeah. so that I can click on that. Uh, could microplastics be a driver for early onset colorectal, colorectal cancer? cancer? Yeah. Which is the exact thing that in the wall street journal, uh, they're saying that doctors are scratching their head going, hmm, I don't know. I have no idea. Cause no. it turns out that the, the, the one cancer that is, uh, increasing most rapidly most among young people is mm -hmm. gastrointestinal cancer. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, look at that, you know, in a matter of minutes, Steven was able to get on the internet and figure out something that other doctors are scratching their head going, we have no idea what might be causing this. Well, mm -hmm. there's a study right there. Look at that. And then you know? their study starts tracking it back from 1950 forward. Well, there you go. That's, that is when, plastics. and that, that yeah. makes sense. Cause that's when yeah. the, the, the plastic started was in the fifties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we see the increased parallel to colorectal cancer, or as some people say, rectal cancer, my aspirin, right? Yeah. Yeah. They say, so, um, there's a way around it, but you gotta live differently. You gotta decide not to put things into your body that you have control over. And I acknowledge and recognize it may not be easy based on where you are today, but as you alter your lifestyle and diet, as Super Don is doing here in this calendar new year, uh, it's hard at first and it gets easier with time. It's a new, it's like creating a new habit. And if you feel it is important enough to not have rectal cancer, how many of you raise show of hands? Anybody? <laughs> you might be a little bit more inclined to go, oh, you know, when I grab for that plastic thing, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to look other ways. I mean, we have like some of the glass bottles too that are covered in like a little bit of uh, you know rubberized protection so that they're not as easily yeah. breakable. But going back to some of those basics, important. I know there are claims that there may be forms of plastic that don't leach as easily as others. And oh, but you know, the, here's the thing. Look, let, yeah. let, let's 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 use history as as our guide here. Mm -hmm. If you have got. Uh, a plastic, you know, one of the things that was one of the first things that the industry focused on that, that, that was a problem was BPA. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's BPA in, in the bottle, you know, baby bottles and the cups and the, the things, and that you could get it on the, the, the receipts that you get from the store. It's a BPA, it's an endocrine disruptor, you know, it's causing all these problems. So what did you see? Uh, a lot of changes took place in industry where they started putting out products and they had a sticker on it, BPA free, right? We took mm -hmm. the BPA out of this, but then they found that the stuff that, that was BPA free had another endocrine disruptor in it. And it was like, what well, I can't remember what a BPAS or something. BPS. Yeah. You know? So it's like, come on, listen, it, it, let's, let's just be reasonable and logical here. Okay. There are going to be chemicals in that plastic that, uh, you may not even realize is something they're, they're finding out right now that 
it, for example, in that, that water bottle study that I, I was talking about yesterday, mm -hmm. there, they found chemicals from like 11 different plastics in, in the bottle. So honestly, I mean, if you're going to try and do something that's going to be significant, reducing a little bit, sure. That's better than nothing, but honestly you know you need to consider going to like stainless steel and glass mm -hmm. now how how easy is that going to be it's going to be extremely hard because back in the 50s and 60s and moving on uh, you know as time has gone on everything has turned to plastic it's it's easy to make it's you know it's it's uh, convenient and cheap and you know all those things that that are the uh the the standard for uh, in, inventions, right? Everything's good. The cheaper and easier to make is, is what sells, right? Yeah. That's where you get your stuff at the dollar store and at Walmart, right? It's all the cheap plastic stuff. How do you, how do you go back to not using plastic? I don't know that you can, I don't think it's even possible. I think it's, it's literally impossible at this point to expect that society would be able to reverse gears on that. Well, unless they have no choice. And of course I'm all about choice. Uh, but the shirt that were, I'm wearing right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm 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 willing to bet there's probably some polyester in this. Shirt. Of course, yeah. I mean, it's in everything that we're around. You think know? about the the value that we place in hemp here on this show. They can make the all of these plastics. I mean, going back the you know the was it the Model T Ford or one of the Ford cars initially mm -hmm. was made with uh, hemp fibers that was stronger yep. than fiberglass yep. and steel. I mean, the problem is is that's that that would never happen, but. Mm -hmm. This is where innovation can take place so that people that are tuned into that situation that are worried about it and want to make a change can have the ability to, you know, use those types of products as somebody, somebody makes them on a mass scale, never happened. I mean, if we're going to be real, that would never happen. There's no way that that industry is going to go, okay, well, we'll start making everything out of hemp now. No, it never happened. There's too much money in it. Until there isn't. Well, until there's no people. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good point too. But I, I bring up the, you know, the GMO issue, right? That with Jeffrey Smith, that there wasn't an act of Congress that finally overturned a lot of the GMO stuff. It was people going, I don't want it. And then some of these companies had to shift. So in that way, there are possibilities that are beyond right now the the reality that you, you know, paint, so to speak, or acknowledge. Uh, that things could shift and can shift. And so I'm not a never say never guy, even though I get where you're oh, coming from. Oh, I know. Yeah. I'm just trying to be a realist. Yeah. Realism it's, is, is, it's, uh, it's over, the, uh, is the, uh, over, what is it? Realism is overrated. I'm channeling some Liam Chef right now. There you go. You know, yeah. good old Liam. Yep. Yeah. I miss him. Of course. Oh my goodness. All right. Anything in rumble going on? Uh, I noticed there was a California condor said Emord's a cool cat. Yeah. Yes, he, he is. is. We had a great discussion with Emord. He was on the way to a, an event. Now he's wanting me to come back out to Virginia to help gather signatures. I'm like, Oh God, when, when is this going to happen? Well, uh, that'd be I fun. I want to see that on video. You going door to door. Yeah. Or however, cool. I mean, it might be at a gun show, uh, yeah. which is a great place to do that. And I'd be broadcasting live from a gun show. I'd love that. No Although I'm going to guess that, you know, he's, he was saying that these would be in the hard, the, uh, the harder to reach areas, the hard, well, not harder to reach, but it was like the areas where he's not uh, doing well as far as signatures. Okay. So I, I'm just speculating yeah, some, that perhaps uh, what, that would, might be an area that probably would not have a gun show. Western rural, uh, 
Virginia. Virginia. Would, I would say they would have gun shows, but I think so? what do I know? Yeah. Is, it, is, is Virginia a blue state or a red uh, state? It's, it's purpley, depending Purple? on where you okay. go. It's got a, it's a real mix. Obviously, the closer to D.C. you get, the more uh, blue it gets, and you get right. more rural, the more red it gets. Uh, Makes sense. So, yeah. So we'll see. I got to call them up and see what the, what's in what's involved in that one. Uh, as in the midst of everything else that we're doing, including the long COVID recovery summit we're working on, and um, really cool stuff with the website updates. There's good things happening, y'all. Things that would never happen according to Super Don. It's happening. Yeah. Well. Okay. Fine. What is that? Come on, mean? Grandpa. Get with the program, or maybe on, on a deprogram from the program. All right, so let's look at what's going on tomorrow. Tomorrow, Friday, mm-hmm. yeah, already. Uh, hour one, we have got Charletta Bassett. Um, Charletta Bassett will be on. Okay. Uh, CharlettaBassett.com. And then in hour two, Robert Spencer. I know this name. He is the director of Jihad Watch. Mm-hmm. That 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 is actually Jihad Watch. I believe, if I remember correctly, has been around for quite a while. Yeah. Um. He's a Shilman fellow. Shilman fellow fellow mm-hmm. at the David Horowitz Freedom Center. Author of twenty seven books, uh, including uh, the Politically Incorrect Guide to Islam. So it's going to be kind of a, a, poly, a political type uh, interview there. Mm. The truth about Muhammad. Oh, the boy. history of jihad. We're not getting into controversy at all. That'll be a little uh, controversial. Yeah. Uh, Charletta says she envisions a future where Americans uphold and celebrate our constitutional rights by fighting together against child trafficking, respecting and giving aid to our veterans, be a nation that stands on its sovereignty and self-sufficiency with robust national security, free our nation. It's more than a slogan. Okay. Well, I get a sense of where we're going tomorrow uh, with some of the, the interviews and guests, and we'll have our own commentary and another homeopathic hit as well. And, uh, yeah, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're getting close to running out of the initial, um, bunch of them. Okay. The, the homeopathic remedies that I had uh, originally got, I, I got like four months worth. Okay. That tells you how long we've been doing this. Wow. That's um, impressive. so I, this morning I, um, I asked her for a couple more months of, okay. of uh, remedies. So let's I get some, some suggestions there and, and keep it going tomorrow. I. Uh, Will be one you do know. Okay. Most of them I know, but today was an interesting one, a very yes. obscure remedy. And so if you missed the homeopathic hit, you can always uh, watch the show in reverse, I guess, or download the homeopathic hit when it gets loaded up to our Patreon page for those that will want to see it, not just download it. You can download it for free on the, in the website at robertscottbell.com, of course. So, All right. I've got to do a podcast recording on uh, nitric oxide, cardio, miracle, and fitness. In about half an hour. Yep. Yeah. So I better maybe take a break now okay, and then uh, come back and do some more. Sounds good. Well, thanks for hanging out with us, guys. I think we're all caught up on comments. How are you feeling? It's like January. We didn't start slowly. No, we didn't. And that's okay. That's all right. You know, we're loaded for homeopathic bear. (laughs) I told you, I have a good feeling, you know, this is the first of the year and we're doing new stuff and, and um, I'm looking forward to it. And maybe, you know, creating some new segments uh, in addition to the detox dialogues and the homeopathic hits. And um, with with everybody's support, we'll just keep trucking. All right. Sounds good. And hopefully I don't have to 
scrape the driveway again. It feels like it's been 10 times in the last two days. Yeah, we're, we've still got a lot of snow. We got another weather advisory coming in for the weekend. It's, so, dude, it's a great workout, especially when you hit that shovel and it hits ice and you go, uh, and it like jams you back. <laughs> but again, my clavicle never been bigger as far as strength of the I bone. have got a gravel driveway. Oh, yeah, that's not easy to do. So, can't yeah, really shovel that. I just get the top layer and just. Mm. I've got these really cool snow boots that my mother in law bought for me. Yeah. These things are cool. They're like the real deal here. Oh, yeah. Those are really waterproof. Uh, these are super cool. I was yeah. out this morning uh, taking care of the car for my wife's because she had to go to work. Mm -hmm. And I put these things on and I'm like walking around out there. I'm like, yeah, because before these, I just went outside in my tennis shoes. Yeah. You know, and you, you know, that doesn't work. It's just, you know, snow inside the shoe and yeah. feet are freezing. So. I feel like a, I feel like a, a mountain man when I put those on, you know, like a, you look like a mountain man. Well, you're not as grizzled as you were before with the ponytail and the long beard. I feel like but, I need to put on a plaid shirt with suspenders and there you go with an ax on my shoulder. Go out there and chop some broccoli. There you All go. All right. Well, good show. Great. Jonathan, E. more appearances always. And uh, our new friend, Danny Katz was terrific. If you missed that interview, on the language of better Arky, a blueprint for uniting against tyranny. That was a, she's terrific. I uh, enjoyed that. And I hope you did too. And uh, God will, we'll see you less than 22 hours from now for another edition of the Robert Scott Bell show heading into the weekend. All right. We'll see you guys tomorrow.